Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 965 with Robert Guarino. You know, so so often it's about uh, kind of understanding what the guest sees and hears and, and feels, right? So you can, when you see a restaurateur walk into the, walk into a restaurant, you can just see them processing like in the, in the instant, is it cold? Is it hot? Is the music too loud? Is this, you know, is this person slouching? Is this guest have a coat on, you know, because, because the air conditioning's blowing on her and just that innate, you know, w- way to put yourself in the guest shoes and see is the experience we're providing what what we should be providing and and how is it landing with them are you ready for it factors success stories failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then join eric cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable this episode brought to you by pop menu are you looking to grow your restaurant in 2023 are you and your team focusing on driving more revenue or connecting with diners more maybe you want to increase sales without physically expanding your brick and mortar if this is all true then you are looking for pop menu pop menu technology for restaurants that are ready to grow for a limited time my listeners can get 100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable go now to get your 100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus entire collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable this episode is brought to you by restaurant systems pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60-day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, New York City restaurateur, CEO, and head coach of Five Napkin Burger and partner in the chef driven group, Robert Guarino. Robert, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always. Yeah, man. I'm super excited for this conversation because you're all over the place, man. You have your hand in a lot of projects. I know you're associated with the, the branded hospitality group, and I've been really interested to see what they're going on or what's going on behind the scenes there because I think it's exciting what they're doing, and hopefully we can help paint a better picture. I'm just, I have no idea where this conversation is going to end up. I know it's going to be good, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? I've got two that have been hanging in my office for a little while and I've been for a while and I've wanted to change them, but they both kind of speak to me. Uh, So one is from former New York Islanders coach, Barry Trotz. 
And it says, if you're not getting better, you're getting past. Ooh, if you're not getting better, you're getting past. I, yeah. I love that. And it's so true. What, like really dive into the, the message behind that. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to have a deep conversation, I'll probably mention hockey here and there. I wasn't a player, but you I miss every shot you don't take. Yeah, that, sure that's come it. I mean, I, I have a little, I have a, I have a little guy who's a player, so I'm a, nice. I'm a restaurateur slash hockey dad at this you, point. You got to be uh, making money to, to afford to send your kid through hockey, right? Wow, well, for sure. That's a, <laughs> that, uh, that's a different question. <laughs> but you know it. You know one of the reasons I love hockey and and sports is that you know really everything is earned, and you can't take your foot off the gas if yeah. you're the, if you're the same player today that you were yesterday. Yeah. Somebody else is gonna is gonna leapfrog you. Yeah, and like the the truth is the world is moving. Yes. The world is growing. The, the world is evolving. So if you stop, the world is going to continue to go. Not just other people, but everything. The the, the world is going to evolve beyond you. It's For a pain sure. in the ass. But it's real. hundred <laughs> percent. It never stops. Yeah. And, so, then, and then the second one is kind of in conjunction, but it's an Angela Duckworth quote uh, where she says, um, greatness is many, many small acts, but each one of them is doable. Ooh. Right. So, they, you know, progress. It's, you know, you have to be taking action on, on it's, it's a collection of little things that drive you forward. It's, it's, it's not one big thing. Yeah. Uh, I love this, man. Great way to get it started. I almost forgot to give uh, David Rev. I'm afraid to say his last name. Say it for me. Ciancio. Ciancio. Thank you very much. Uh, He was episode 799. He called you out to be a guest in the show, which is why you're here today. And I can't wait to hear who you're going to call up. But we'll save that for the very end. Um, So before, like, let's just kind of dive in, like, you got a lot going on, man. I see that you started in 1994 is when you had the first like restaurant manager role. Yeah. Um, how long were you working in the industry before that? Well, in 1994, I was a young guy. I mean, I started, I started busting. I'm surprised seeing that number because you don't look like, I feel like you should be in your fifties with that number. Uh, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing it. <laughs> man, I'm, I'm, I'm in the back end of the forties. So it's, uh, I'm working hard. Thank <laughs> so 1994. You. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in suburban Connecticut, started busing tables in high school, you know, decided young. I wanted to go to the Cornell hotel school. Uh, managed to get in, um, got there and quickly fell in love, thought I wanted to do hotels and uh, got there and fell in love with food and beverage and have, have you know, wanted to be an independent restaurateur ever since. So reflecting back at that time, what was it about the food and beverage world that made you fall in love? You know, I, you know, before going to Cornell, everybody said you have to work in the industry. and I, I don't come from an industry family. And so all I could find was, was a job busing tables in a, in a little bar and grill. And I loved the energy from the first second, like the, the chaos, like the, you know, the, the pace, like the, you know, the, the late evenings, like the whole thing. I, I loved it. And so when, when I got to Cornell, it was, it was the same thing. And I loved food and I loved beverage. I loved learning about wine and spirits and cocktails and service and hospitality and leadership. And, and uh, really, you know, pretty quickly I saw that independent restaurant operations was, was where I was going to be happiest. So did you work in restaurants before going to school at Cornell? Just this bar, just bussing tables. Okay. I mean, the same restaurant, you know, after freshman year, I was, I, I worked there as a server cause I was 18 finally, but, uh, and could, then could handle alcohol, but <laughs> you know, that, that was it. So, and then, uh, I got into the corporate world. I, I did a summer, a summer for restaurant associates, uh, and there is a purchasing intern. And then I, I spent a couple of years with restaurant associates, uh, during school and after graduation. Yep. Till 97, I see. Right. Yeah, ninety seven. I said this. You know, I loved the the corporate experience and the, that high volume, but I really wanted to go work for an entrepreneur. Um, and so, you know, I thought it was one of the coolest things ever when I read it. I, I went and worked for for Joe Santo at a restaurant called Arizona Two Hundred Six, 
which was, you know, the line that caught me when I read it was the, it's the first restaurant ever to get three stars in the times that didn't use tablecloths. Interesting. And that happened in about 1986 or 88, somewhere along those lines, but it was really a groundbreaking, you know, fine, casual, fine dining restaurant. Uh, now it's obviously very common, but you know, there was a time that, that fine dining was, you know, was only yeah. tablecloths, right? Only, issues, only associated with the tablecloth. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So during the early, so really I'm going to, take you through this exercise where we get in the airplane, we zoom through 30,000 feet. Cause I see that, um, you know, you have restaurant associates, you were uh, the GM for the Santo family group, which is what we're talking about right now in 1997 with the, the no tablecloth, three star fine dining. Um, and then from like, it looks like from 2001 yep. to like present day, like it just like the, the hammer drops and like chaos lets loose. And like, you're opening a bunch of restaurants. I mean, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven concepts yep. associated with your name. Um, what happened in 2001? I guess kind of like yep. fast forward real quick without getting into any detail, but just like list like dates and restaurants. Uh, you got it. So if you can, <laughs> 2001, I was introduced to my, to my current partner, uh, Simon Oren. Okay. Um, but you know, he, he had a location on 44th street and ninth Avenue where, where we're sitting now and was opening a, a, a French Mediterranean restaurant called Marseille. I came in as the GM. Uh, he basically tossed me the keys and said, Hey, you know, go get us our, uh, you know, go get a two star review in the times and, uh, myself and chef Alex Urania at the time. And, and and we did it, and we've been growing together with with Oren ever since. Beautiful. Um, so, so going, so keep going. So some of it's a geography story. Okay. Ne- next door to Five Napkin in 2007, we opened a little Italian restaurant called Nizza, and then we were able to get the other corner in the same building. In did I see that Nizza's right next door? Like, that's all right. Yeah. Okay. So, so where we are, we're si- we're sitting on kind of the block that's our home base. I we, love that though. We, we have three restaurants, uh, a cookie store. And a bar is where we're sitting now that we just reopened last week. Got it. Uh, plus a corporate office upstairs. Got it. Now, any of the restaurants that we're sitting in, have they been other concepts that have been rebranded? Uh, only the one we're in now. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, as, is really a bar concept. So this is our third iteration. And that was Reunion Surf Bar before? Most recently, yeah. Okay. We, we had about an eight-year run as Reunion until, until COVID hit. So. And- yeah. So 2001, are, um, if I say any of the names of these restaurants, the first restaurant, say it again for me real quick. Marseille. Marseille. Thank yes. you very much. So it was first was Marseille. Then it was Nizza. Then you have Union Surf Bar. Uh, Tell me if I'm going out of order. Uh, yeah. Reunion Surf Bar opened before Five Napkin, I believe. And then the cookie joint. Schmackeries. Schmackeries. Yeah. Uh, and then Playa Betty's. Yep. And then uh, the, o- the only one you skipped is Five Napkin Burger. So oh, that was two thousand eight. So two thousand eight, we opened the first Five Napkin Burger, and that, and you know, we designed that restaurant for that corner, and it just exploded. Was from that day before one. or after Nizza? Six months after. Okay. So we, funny story. We had wanted to put Nizza in that location, but we weren't. You know, we weren't able to to get it, and we started building in the middle of the block. And while we were building, the woman who, who operated the corner came to us and said, could you take it? So we opened two restaurants nice. in, in six months. Not not by plan, but, but we yeah, did but it. When opportunities like that fall on your yeah. lap, when you can literally go next door, which gives you the opportunity, I feel like, or the, the flexibility to like expand naturally. Say if you wanted to like knock a wall down or whatever, like improve. I don't know what you can do in these little, buildings. A little trickier than that, yeah. but, but <laughs> sure, just operationally to have, yeah. to have good people you know, overseeing more without having to leave a block. Is, yeah, if you have to go great. put a fire out, and you don't have to get stuck in like New York City traffic to get five blocks away or whatever or run, or you could just go next door to literally go put the fire out. You know, absolutely, yeah, so much better. Um, so okay, now that we have the big picture, yep, 
Well, we do we have all the big picture, or is there more to the story? Uh, so Playa Betty's we mentioned is our, yeah. our taco and margarita concept, um, and I think that pretty much is where we were until COVID. I mean, the, you know, Five Napkin Burger has its own arc, and then you had a Mexican concept that closed, right? Uh, yeah, that was that was in Ridge Hill up in Yonkers. What year did that open? So we opened a Five Napkin Burger there in 2017, 18, okay, and didn't quite connect, and we. You know, as is our way, we like to try to, to rebrand and, and start fresh if we have to. So we, we opened a, a Mexican concept there called El Balon. 2019-ish? Yeah. yeah, 2018, 2019, something like that. And then at one point you had seven five napkin burgers and now you're at two. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot going on. So that's why yeah. I wanted to get the big picture. And then I also see that you have uh, associations with branded hospitality starting in 2019. Yes. So... Again, there's a lot to cover, and I'm, I'm excited to hear about how you've evolved as a restaurateur and why you've made these decisions, uh, and I have no idea the details. I'm super excited to get them. So let's go back yep. to um, 1997. So you're the GM for the Santo Family Group. Yes. Um, paint the picture. I feel like you probably grew a lot as a yep. restaurant professional here, but is it worth going back even further, or is this kind of a good spot to pick up? Uh, no, no, we can start there. I okay. That's, that's a good spot. So paint the picture of who you were there, who, like the younger version of Robert. Yeah. What was that all about? I mean, I was, I was, I was eager. I was focused. I was, I was energetic. I was, you know, work hard and this is, you know, what I wanted to do. Um, I think I was always kind of the same manager that I am today. I don't, I don't think my management style has changed per se. It was always kind of a, a player coach, if you will. And, uh, you know, believed in kind of empowering people and, and getting their best. Yeah. But I was definitely focused on, you know, on running great restaurants and, you know, closing six nights a week and working, you know, work was the what was the focus. And it was it was a fun, fun, crazy time. Yeah. Um, if you I mean, it's safe to say, I'm sure you grew a lot during this time because it was sure. one of your first your first time being a GM. Right. Yeah. So what were some of the big lessons that the Santos group or the Santo group kind of instilled in you as a restaurant or like habits they might have broken or things like this? Yeah. You know what? I think that the first thing that comes to mind is so it was, it was Dr. Joe Santo was, okay. the, was, was the owner and he was he was going back. He was he was a dentist. Um, so he was he, he owned Arizona 206, uh, a restaurant called Yellow Fingers that opened in the 60s and then Sign of the Dove, which was a three star landmark fine dining restaurant on the Upper East Side. So, so Joe did not come from a background of, of restaurants, but he started in the sixties opening these big experiential places. Um, and it was really built around love and passion and art and, you know, and, and his personality. So he was really, um, you know, larger than life. And he was, uh, he was a true restaurateur and he was a fixture in his neighborhood. You know, everything he was operating was in the upper East side and had this, this great longevity, um, and so just really seeing a true restaurateur, an independent restaurateur at work like that, that that's the takeaway, right? Is, is, yeah. is to see, you know, that's, that's a lot of fun. What, like reflecting back at the, who this man is, like, what was it about him that you think he was passionate? Like, where was the passion? Where did that come? Where was that? From? You know, so, so often it's about, uh, kind of understanding what the guest sees and hears and, and feels right. So you can. When you see a restaurateur walk into the walk into a restaurant, you can just see them processing like in, yeah. the, in the instant. Is it cold? Is it hot? Is the music too loud? Is this, you know, is this person slouching? Is this guest have a coat on? You know, because because the air conditioning's blowing on her, and just that innate, you know, w- way to put yourself in the guest shoes and see, 
is the experience we're providing what what we should be providing and it, and how is it landing with them yeah and i think one of the i can't remember where i heard this but it, there was a restaurant tour i had on the show that whenever they opened a new restaurant they would put um they would make sure that they sat in every seat yeah for like at least a minute or two to, and just look around yeah. you know and look like where's the air coming from is there going to be where's the sunset is it going to be my yeah. eyes and like really trying to like not just empathize but to like put yourself in the position to sympathize with where the guest is going to be an experience every position um, uh, for sure and if you have a hundred seats like it really is different in each and yeah. every each and every one of those seats and no matter where you're sitting you're paying the same price so it should be somewhat uniform right? Abs- absolutely but yeah. you know as as owners when you actually eat in the restaurant you're often in a good seat right? Right? Yeah, and, or yeah. you know, you're or you go to a restaurant, you get in the VIP seat if you're visiting. But you know, you need to care about each and every one of those seats, and the sight lines are different. The air conditioning, the yeah. music, they all they all land differently, and it's yeah. very very important. What else did they teach you to set you up for success as a restaurateur? What, what were the other evolutionary experiences that you couldn't get from college, but you got through like you know the grind? Yeah, you know what, and and I guess it goes back to you know I'm in the the mindset of 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 you know the restaurateur and entrepreneur, and it's it's really about passion and love, you know, and and that, you know, it in some ways it's kind of like you know playing jazz, right? There's not a formula if if for, to great jazz, it's it's you know you're doing, you know, things that that inspire you and that you hope are going to translate to your guests, mm. and so you know in in the corporate world there there's definitely you know a different focus on you know profitability sometimes and structure and systems and that doesn't always happen as well in the independent world. Yeah. Um, so you, you know, I, having done both and having, you know, seen the level of professionalism rise throughout the industry, I try to do both as a, as a business, but at the end of the day, I think passion and, and art and love and inspiration and all that is a big part of any successful restaurant concept. So when we're saying passion uh, yeah. uh, uh, and love, yeah. what is it specifically that we're passionate about and that we love? So, uh, you know, it's different. I've created a lot of, I've been involved in the, you know, a lot of different concepts, right? And at, at different levels of dining. And it's, it's different for all of them and similar for all of them. But I guess if I had to distill it, I'd say what we're trying to create is, well, for, well first of all, I'll say what I'm, one of the things I'm probably most passionate about is what I'll call casual fine dining, right? So from, you know, from casual dining all the way up through, you know, two star New York Times kind of casual dining, not, you know, not three and four star tasting menu level is not, is not where my heart lies. I like restaurants that are meeting places that are, you know, important to their neighborhood. So what is it about the, the finer yeah. dining, more high touch, uh, like rigid ex- environment that isn't sitting right with you? Um, you know, it's not that it, it I, I love to experience it. Yeah. You know, I love it as a guest. It's just not necessarily where I've spent my time. And yeah, and I it, mean, it, I agree with you. I can yeah. never open. I can never be a part of a restaurant like that. It's too stressful. Yeah. Me. I mean, I listen, I, I, I think it's fun. I mean, yeah. I, I'd, I'd have fun doing it. But, you know, really goes to me. It's I like these concepts that are kind of loud and boisterous and, you know, have a big beverage component that's not just wine, you know, has yeah. cocktails and spirits and an active bar and. And really, I, you know, I used that word meeting place a minute ago. I think, you know, kind of everything I'm involved with and have worked on really is a meeting place in its neighborhood. Yeah. So it may serve tourists or theater goers or business people or business lunch. But it, at the end of the day, I, I enjoy restaurants that people come to often. Right. So if you live in the neighborhood, you should be coming there a couple of times a month, at, you know, at, 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 at minimum um, and to really be part of a place. Yeah, and that's I, I can get right behind that. I, I can totally resonate with that. Looking back to Joe Santo, yeah. uh, his love and his passion, what was his love and passion? 
how did that manifest? Um, you know, for Joe, it, it, it really was kind of uh, art, art as much as food. And, you know, so the sign of the dove, I mean, if, if it's hard to describe if you hadn't been there, I mean, it was, it was a townhouse on the Upper East Side. It was full of art and statues and, uh, and uh, flowers, you know, flowers and trees. It was over the top. I mean, it was, you know, New York's kind of landmark fine dining restaurant for many years from the 60s and through the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just that, that passion of interest. He was really a renaissance man mm. as much as a restaurateur. And I think you already said it, but I want to echo it again. I think when I, if I were to ask you that question, what was Joe Santos passion? Yeah. It was the art, the love, the art for Robert. Same. I mean, it, I think you said at the meeting place, it's the, it's the, the, the regularity of people going to one spot. Am I, did I miss it? Or what would you say in your own words is your passion? In me, I, th- I think building restaurants that are meeting places, right? Yeah. So, I, so what I do you mean say, by meeting place? What, like so a, I want you, if, if if I'm in your na- if you're in my neighborhood and I, or I'm in your neighborhood either way a restaurant you know if you're a restaurant on the Upper West Side per se and I have um, I've opened a restaurant on the Upper West Side I want you to think of that restaurant when you're bringing friends in from out of town I want you to come when it's your anniversary or it's a date night and you know it's the first night you've been out in in nine mo- you know in twelve months after having a new baby like I want you to think of our restaurants and 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 get to know the people who work there and like. Um, you know, like coming to the restaurant yeah. and like have, you know, have you experience it over different times and for different reasons. What are the key elements to achieve this type of restaurant? Like what are the variables that are most important to create a meeting place? Well, I think you need to be somewhat approachable, right? So you can't, you, you can't be too stiff or too formal. I think you have to, you know, have to be friendly. Like, you know, when I talk about service, I, I always say the same thing. There, there's two main goals of service in uh, of what I'm trying to build in a team. And uh, the first is warmth, uh, and the second is knowledge, right? So everything else comes. If we're, if we're warm and we're, we're working hard to try to make people feel comfortable, um, we've done 90% of the work. After that, hopefully, we have, hopefully we're knowledgeable about what we're serving and knowledgeable about ways we can really add to the experience. But warmth is, is by far number one. Yeah, it's like one of those key synonyms in hospitality. I think yeah. generosity, warmth, uh, conveniality are some of those words that you see are synonymous with hospitality. When you say sure. warmth, yeah, really paint the picture. What do you mean by warmth? What is warmth in your words? You know, I just, you know, when I talk about it, like uh, with a, you know, the, the, excuse me, the, like when a guest approaches the front door of a restaurant, you know, there's so much that's going through their head. You know, do I have a reservation? Will they find my reservation? Do, do I need a reservation? You know, can they spell my name? And I just, I'm fascinated by how quickly we can just get them to relax. And so, yeah. so we'll say, you know, don't say, you know, don't lead with two for dinner, lead with, you know, good evening. Yeah. Uh, and it's not good evening, sir, because that's too stiff or too formal. It's, it's good evening, you know, yeah. and, and start, start to make people comfortable. And the minute you can get people to realize they're in good hands, then they can relax and start to realize, all right, this is a place I want to be tonight. And hopefully... I'm excited to come back to. Yeah. I have thoughts before I, yeah. before I share my thoughts, I want to ask you a question. How do you feel about trends? Um, you know what? I, I, I am very proud to have a lot of restaurants been involved with restaurants that have, that have a lot of longevity, right? So Marseille upstairs is, you know, it's 22 years old now. We opened in 2001, um, you know, one month, two months after nine 11, we opened. So, you know, trends are great, but I think it's also very important to keep an eye over the horizon. Um, you know, as far as restaurant format, you know, kind of nothing fascinates me more than the brasseries of Paris. And those restaurants have been around for 120 yeah. years doing the same thing through yeah. World War One, through World War Two, through, you know, 
they're still there and you're basically going and getting the same experience that you got 120 years ago. I find that incredibly fascinating. Yeah. So the thought that I had, I mean, I agree 100% with you and I think people get into trouble a lot uh, when it comes to trends because they're, if you, if you're chasing a trend, are you truly passionate and do you have love for that trend or are you thinking it's a fast way to get rich quick? Right. Yeah. And I I think that what people don't realize is not what, people are doing that becomes trendy it's why they're doing it you know and i think that there's a detach there you know um go ahead for sure i mean uh, you know let's talk about five napkin burger i mean you know it's we opened a burger concept but we designed it for that so we had been doing business on the corner of 44th street for six or seven years already we we had an opportunity to open the restaurant a, a block up in a neighborhood we knew we created really what is an Amer- I'll bring the brasserie word back. We created an American brasserie that does everything we like, a beautiful room, a big beverage program. We opened with a big wine list and, you know, cocktails and fresh juices and, you know, all of that built around a premium burger. Right. So it's not, so yes, Joe, we, I can't wait to get my hands on one of those burgers. Oh, though. you got to do it. <laughs> so yes, we wanted to open a burger restaurant cause we thought it would work but we, we did everything we could to make the burger concept harder to replicate because we were building it for one, one corner yeah. in, in a neighborhood that we knew. So how do you – I mean, I'm going to tap the brakes on that one, but it's a good yeah. question. The question is, in case I don't remember to ask it, uh, is how do you make something that's so common unique? But don't answer that because I feel like we're going to get there through your story. Yeah. So, um, But I think the, the, the key word here is love, I think, because I, I, love radiates – I think there is some shit we haven't figured out yet about how humans work. Like we're still learning about how we function. I think they're starting to, I don't know a lot about this, but I want to learn more about it, that the heart literally radiates out energy. Sure. And there's different like things happening, but I think that, I think that it trans, it's, it translates beyond just me and you, but that, that, that love will, you know, vibrate, make you vibrate. And then you'll go out of the restaurant and find somebody else. And like that level vibrate through you to other people. But when you, when the love is genuine, when the love is real, it just echoes. There's something going on there. I don't think we've completely figured it out yet from like a scientific standpoint, but they're starting to show that there's evidence that we literally, when we love something that love we're drawn to it, there's a, there's a, a draw there. There's an attraction. It's a low road. We're not even aware it's happening, but th- th- that love is so key. You're shaking your head. What you, what's going through your mind as I say this? Yeah, I believe it. I mean, yeah. I haven't, I haven't, I'm not sure the the science behind what you're saying, but it, it makes a hundred percent. There's this book out there called the heart speaks or something like that. And, um, there, there's science that suggests there's like dense clumps of like neurons that almost act like a, like a brain, sure. you know, and there's different levels. Like there's more about our bodies that we're just starting to begin to understand. And I think the science is, is fast evolving for sure. It's fascinating stuff. I want to get the author of that book on the show. I think it'd be really cool because of the, because of the love that we yeah, go for radiate it. all the yeah, time. The show, right? That's our goal, right? So moving on, um, as I, I, I gave Robert a warning before the episode, I was like, I'm spending too much time in the early years. I need to move the conversation <laughs> forward, but I'm loving it so far. Um, so um, is it safe to move b- beyond the Santo family? Are there any, any other big lessons, points of evolution for you as a restaurateur? Um, yeah, I think we could fast forward to the opening of Marseille. I mean, okay. I think is, is really where. So jumping ahead off. four years later. Yep. Um, why did you leave Joe Santo? Um, you know, so it was, it was. You know, in, in their arc, things were starting to slow down a little bit, and they, they sold the building where Sign of the Dove was in. 
And I think ultimately, they shortly after I left, within a year or two, they sold the building that uh, Arizona and Yellow Fingers was in. So okay. it was they it, were it, it was out. it was time to move. Yeah, um, I knew I wanted to stay in independent operations. Uh, I spent a short stint down at Lupa uh, Mario, with Mario Batali and Joe Bastianich. Um, Did you, were the there with Eli manager. Culp? No. Okay. Sorry. No. Just recently had him on the show. No, I was not. I was there. It was six months in 2001. Got it. And um, it wasn't, you know, I, I love the restaurant and, still, and love the cuisine. And, you know, it, what was happening there was just amazing. And Mark Ladner was in the kitchen. And You said you were there for six months? Yeah. Anything that this group did differently or, or a new light that they shined for you on the industry? Well, I mean, you know, culinarily, what was happening was just was just amazing. The, the small little restaurant, um, you know, Lupa was you know eighty seats, and it was just so busy and and so uh, you know such a great Italian restaurant yeah. and so much passion for for simple Roman dishes. Um, so I love that. Um, wasn't wasn't really the right fit. I came for me. I came in a couple years after they opened, and it was so busy um, that it you know they didn't need much from the GM yeah. uh, per se. So I so it wound up being a short stint. Okay, and I said you know what, what I, I came out of there saying I want to do an opening right. So I I thought I was going to take some time off, and oh it's you know I've it's been seven years. I haven't had any vacation. I'm going to take some time off. I don't I don't want to look for a job yet. And um, my friend uh, Stephen Hall the uh, a PR legend uh, called me up that summer and he said, "Hey, I've got a I've got a, a client who's opening, uh, you know, opening a fine dining restaurant called Marseille." And I said, "Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think I want to, you know, start just now." Uh, and he's like, "All right, but you know," I said, "Call me when they hire a chef." Um, and so he called me back a week later. So they hired Alex Urania, who was the one of the chef de cuisine. Or uh, so, why did the chef matter so much to you? Well, I wanted the team, right? So, yeah. you know, so I, want, I wanted to know who, you know, who the team was, right? So what is, you know, what are we looking to do? And, you know, it takes a team to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I wanted, you know, something exciting culinary. You're not going to work for a concept, a brand. You're going to work for the people who are behind it or with the people who are behind it. Well, yes. But when you're, when you're opening a restaurant and creating a brand, you know, you need a, te- you need a team to do it. And it's, you know, you need a partner in the back yeah. of the house. You know, you need somebody who's going to help you do it. I mean, I, I was predominantly a front of house you know, front of house manager, you know, and, and, and business person, but I don't cook. Um, you know, I'm a decent home cook, but I, you know, I need, I need a partner in, in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as Alex was on, I was like, all right, we've got, you know, now we've got a, a three legged stool. So let's, so when you heard this, when you heard that name, Alex, did you recognize it immediately? Yeah, I mean, he was he was down at Blue Hill at the time um, when it was you know it was just the Blue Hill in the in the West Village, and it was kind of a rock star team, and and Alex was down there, and you know there is in a great reputation, so I was excited to, uh, you know, to create something you know with him. Nice. So, um, two thousand one. Wait, so Marcel is Marseille. 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 Thank you very much. Uh, Marseille is um, still going strong today, correct? Yeah. It's right yeah. upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what were those early years like in 2001? Yeah. I mean, so to, to fast forward you know, a couple of weeks in the story, I, I started uh, the Tuesday after Labor Day, which was like September 6th or something, 2001. Um, so the fi- I think it was the Friday of my first week is when 9-11 happened, and Oof. we were we were two months out from opening, you know, the, especially like in New York, like yeah. no, we were ground here. zero. No, it, it was, you know, we were here and, and it was, you know, a scary time to open a restaurant. What was that day? Like, do you remember that day? Where, where were you? What were you doing? I, I was, I mean, I'll never forget it. I, I, anybody who was here at the time, it, yeah. you know, could, could ever forget it. I was, I lived in hell's kitchen at the time and, 
I got a call. We're in Hell's Kitchen right now, right? This neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, we are. So I was, you know, ten blocks up Ninth Avenue, and I got a call from my mother, and I was as as uh, as stupid sons do. I kind of brushed her off, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to work." <laughs> and I and I walked down the avenue, and you know, still not realizing what's going on, and and then you know, as the next half hour, forty five minutes, you realize spread fast. Yeah, this is this is a big deal. And um, wait, so did you know about this before you left for work? Um, I did. I remember what knowing from work is walking down the avenue, right? So yeah. I was, I was getting up and I, I probably left a couple of minutes later. And what time did that happen? Like 11 a.m.? I remember no, it was I was early. It was like nine something. Was it early? Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. It, it, it was early. Um, you're probably still in bed from the night before working late. Let's not talk about that. That's, <laughs> I mean, I, I was a restaurant. Hey, when you're working until 3 a.m., yeah. like, there's, yeah, no, there's no shame in that. But, um, you know, so it was a very, very scary time to open a restaurant and we, but we kept going and, you know, you know, Oren, you know, my, my partner, you know, led the charge. now my partner, but, you know, led the charge and said, we're, you know, you know, we can't stop. We got to keep pushing forward. And we opened right after Thanksgiving, um, wow. which was, you know, a, a scary time, but the restaurant was busy. We opened up. What was it like in New York during that time? Did the, the city shut down? Like people were still going out and going to restaurants. It wasn't like COVID where you couldn't like literally weren't allowed to be in business. Well, one of the things that, that was really great to see is when we talk about neighborhood restaurants and we talk about restaurants as meeting places is on that on 9-11, people flocked into their neighborhood places. They wanted to talk. They, they, wanted, they, yeah. they flocked into the places where they were most comfortable. They didn't want to be at home in their no. apartments. Up high. You know, what, no, yeah, not even that. Just, you know, to, to be watching TV, you know, for hours and then they went to restaurants. They walked up from downtown and they went to their local places. And, you know, I got... Um, you know, I, I just left the restaurants on, uh, you know, where Arizona 206 and, and Yellow Fingers and those restaurants were packed. And I actually got a call from them. Said, hey, can you come help us? And and I, I, I didn't get the message right away because the phone lines were so screwy. But I, you know, in retrospect, I wish I had went. You know, I mm. wish I wish I had known like, hey, you know, the restaurant that I worked in and my friends, you know, needed help. Um, I should have went and worked that day. And, yeah. you know, if I'd gotten that message, I. I'd like to think I would have went, but, yeah. uh, but myself, I remember going, you know, I wasn't working. So I went to, you know, a local Irish bar on 57th street and just, see, you know, at 10 or 11 o'clock I left the house and I had to go. Yeah. And you just to be around other people and to realize, Hey, this is our city. And this it, is crazy. Yeah. And we have to remember, I think, you know, again, the year now is 2001. This oh, yeah. is kind of bef- the, the, the internet's a thing. But I don't think it had its tentacles around us like no. it does today. No, right? it, was, it was cable TV, you know? Yeah. So we, we, we forget the role that restaurants and bars, specifically pubs, communal spaces, played in the world back then. Like, that's where you got your news. That's where you, that's where, you know, that's where you did your, that's, that was your community, the sure. bars. Like, and I, I echo this a lot, but when we were, you know, uh, establishing when we we're colonizing the united states if you wanted to be a town the first thing you needed that was required was a pub you yeah, couldn't open it yeah. you couldn't start a town unless you had a pub wow. in that town not a church not a post wow. office a pub i never heard that yeah it's crazy and, and i think it's important that we reconnect with the the, the history of our industry and the role of connecting in, in communal that that place you keep going back to get the 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 the, the the good stuff, the love from your peers. For sure. And, and if we fast forward to today, yeah. I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just as important now because, you know, so much of our lives happen online. 
that people still need spaces where they want to be around other people and they want to see the friendly face and the smile. And, they and need you don't, it now more than ever. And you don't get that heart radiation <laughs> that we were talking about earlier. The good, the good kind of radiation, the love radiation, right? Yeah. You, you can't get that, that same vibration through a video screen. You know, you can't, not you in can't, the same way. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, but it's also like, it's like saying, you know, like you can still get sustenance from a cheeseburger from McDonald's, but not in the same way. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like we put shit into our bodies it, it comes out. What you put in is what you get out. I think it's the same with the relationships. Can't for, settle. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. I, you know, just a, it's a slippery slope. I think on the technology side, I, you know, I am a, a pro technology uh, <laughs> on the whole. And okay. like, you know, like with the work you do and like the, yeah. whole, the whole podcast, there's media, pros and cons. There's a lot of good stuff that's that, that people are exposed to on online as, yeah. as well. Information mm-hmm. travels faster than ever, which for makes sure. people honest, more honest than ever, which I think is important. Like, I think there was a lot of corruption in like deep, in media up until recently that is kind of being forth. We're realizing that you got to be transparent. You got to be real because if you lie, sure. you know, look at Joe Biden. It's getting a lot of heat for lying he did recently. It's coming back out. Like you can do, you can do the research, sure. you know, with the internet. So anyway, um, so back to your story, Marseille 2001, how long were you at Marseille before the next project happened? So I'm still at Marseille. I mean, well, I, I, yeah, partner. I, I am. So it was about three years in, uh, so 2004 or so, Alex, Alex left to go on to his, his next opportunity. Um, Chef Andy D'Amico joined us, joined, joined Simon to open Nice Matan on the Upper West Side. So 79th in Amsterdam. Um, and we, there was, as the, so I had worked with Andy because he was Joe Santos' partner. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I was glad that he was, you know, I love, you know, I loved Andy and was glad that he was, you know, joining our group. And there was some question whether I would oversee Nice Matan, uh, in that opening. Uh, and I, and I said, you know what, we're not ready. We're, you know, we've, we've still got more to do here at Marseille. Um, and so that was 2003. So th- that's the restaurant Alex went to go open? No. So oh, Alex good. left the group. Okay, uh, yeah. So Alex left the group for another opportunity and we, we still, we're still in touch. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, actually Nice Matan happened first, right? So, nice, so Alex was still with us when Nice Matan opened. Okay. Um, I didn't do that opening cause I didn't, you know, I helped where I could, but we had more work to within do. Within the same restaurant group. This within the same project. group. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. So I did passed on that one about a year later after Nice Matan opened, Alex Urania moved along. And then Andy wound up coming down to oversee our kitchen at Marseille as well. At this point, are you a partner in the business? No. So it was kind of it was kind of shortly after Alex left, where you know, um, you know, I loved working you know with Oren and and uh, now with Andy joining the group. And Oren at that point said, "Hey, I would like you know, I'd like to, to to have you stay with us and grow with us." And that's kind of when it happened. Got it. Um, so that's Simon. Yes. Yeah. Same, so his last name is say it one or, more time. Simon Oren. Oren, got it. Um, so this is actually unusual, I feel like. From my understanding, you're seeing partnerships evolve more today than before. And I think part of that is because people are recognizing that if you want top talent, you've got to give them skin in the game. Sure. Like there, there's something about showing up to something that you have equity in mm-hmm. that makes people show up differently. I think that the long run, the long game, that, that plays out better sometimes if it's, if it's the right partnership. Um, what was... Was this, can you back that up going back to like the early 2000s? Was it rare to be offered partnership like that? Um, well, I think it was, I think it was a prescient move, you know, on, uh, at, at the time. A I what mean, move? Prescient. What does that word mean? I'm not that smart. I don't know. We better look it up. I think, <laughs> I, I think kind of, it was a, it was a smart move. It Got was, it. you know, kind of, but realizing that, um, 
you know, yes, as, as people grow in their career and I was, you know, a young, ambitious restaurateur, I, I probably would have moved along as well, um, without providing opportunity, you know, if, if I didn't, you know, if there wasn't more opportunity. Um, and so it was prescient on, on Oren's part to say, Hey, you know, there's more, you know, there's more I think we should be doing. And so he made me a partner then. And then we've been growing together as partners ever since. But I think you hit the, the nail on the head that yeah. if you don't give somebody the opportunity, they're going to go find it somebody else. You're investing time in the energy, mentoring, building these people, building the next generation. They're going to go on. You have to create opportunity for them. For um, sure. And I think that's just one of, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that the most successful restaurateurs aren't successful because of their hard work it's because of all the people they've surrounded themselves with that they've provided opportunity to for sure right so you see starting to come out in your story with um your partner simon um so moving forward um well before we move forward like do you think i'm assuming this is probably a big evolutionary pointer for you marseille it's the first restaurant that you have equity in right mm-hmm. that you're a business owner what was that transition like for you you know what it's it there wasn't really much of a transition because I, I like to think I always carried myself the, the same way. I mean, I was so passionate about what I was doing that I, I, I'd like to think I always acted like an owner before I yeah. was. Yeah. Uh, and especially in a restaurant that I really was there from, you know, two months after. You treated it like you yeah. owned it. And I, I, I built it. You know, I, you know there's, a, there's a chandelier in the middle of the room. Yeah. I mean, I was stood on a ladder with the glass guy yeah. for six hours. You know, it's like it's, it, you have a kind of a different connection to – to something and it was my neighborhood I lived 13 blocks up the avenue and my wife worked on Broadway and like she she lived in the neighborhood all our friends it's like yeah. it's very personal so it not much changed yeah. but it was great to know that hey this is um you know not only am I I didn't just open a restaurant here I'm kind of you know building a future got it and um it's also I think a, a, a testament to if you treat it like you own it sure guess what happens yeah you might you might someday. Right? Yeah, it's so. yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 good advice for anybody. Is you know, always, oh, always outdo your role. Yeah. So, so whatever your role is, whether you, whether you love the role, let, you know, love where you're working or not, you know, do your role and more, and the opportunities will find you. Yeah, and I'm excited to to talk about your progression as a restaurateur. Like you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, if you're not growing, you're dying. I don't think those are the exact yeah, words yeah. you use, but the same sentiment. Um, and you have the continued to evolve, and you're you're associating yourself with very forward thinking, uh, I guess, entities, groups, parties of people. And I want to get into that. But any other key lessons? early in your career things that like if you wish you knew what you know if you know what you knew now if you could go back to that that early 2000s version of yourself going into like the 2010s is there any advice is, is there a story a, a hard story a bad decision you made anything along those lines i'm, I'm drawing a blank right now because there's that it's more, you're just so spot on <laughs> no no it's it's just more of a steady progression i mean i, I think i i guess you know what comes to mind is that, you know, I've been doing this, you know, 25 years now and, and, and it's, there, there's still more to do. Like, however you, you know, I, I never really thought I knew it all. Um, and I don't think I know it all now, right? There, there, there's more to learn. And I think that realization, like, you know, if you want to start a restaurant, you know, whatever you know now is, is probably enough because you're going to, you're going to keep learning. Mm -hmm. If you're like, you never have, you know, I was never overly confident, but I was never overly unconfident, if you will. I I believed in hard work. Right. And I, and I believed in, in, you know, trying to do things the right way and doing that every day and then, and then keep growing and learning. And, you know, so that's, 
that's kind of how I approach it and try to do still do today. So what was the evolution of your career moving beyond Marseille? I mean, you're still a partner in Marseille, but yep. you, there's so many other projects going on. Like, how have you evolved? How have you continued to grow? Well, the, I guess the biggest moment of challenge becomes, you know, how do you run multiple locations, right? So, you know, Marseille for the first five years, I was there I, on the floor six nights a week. I mean, for, for years I worked, I worked six days like so many of, of us used to. I think that's, we're going away from that direction as, yeah. as a company now. We're a five-day group, but, you know, six days was normal for management back then. And, and I, I did that and that was my focus. But it, once you have two locations, even though we're on the same block, um, the two restaurants don't share a wall. There's, there's a, there was a coffee shop and a, a, a dentist between them. As soon as you're not there every night, like there's guests you're not going to see. There's employees who are, are going to say, well, if Robert were here, it would be like this. And the jump from one to two is just a completely different thing. You're no longer uh, you know, a restaurant a restaurant manager, you're a multi-unit operator. Yeah. And even on the same block. And that that is hard. You know, you can be good enough in one restaurant that you can really affect a lot of change just by how hard you work. So what um, was it what was the hardest thing for you? The hardest thing I guess was was to I'd say you really have the confidence to let people let other people fulfill their roles and and to succeed because you you have to you have to give up you know you you have to give up things you used to do you have to let other people take you know take the responsibility you need to let other people fail you know and 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 have setbacks and learn and grow what was the hardest thing that you had to give up <sighs> um the hardest thing that I had to give up, I guess really kind of running the team, right? Mm -hmm. So who, you know, so it was, and I'm very, very fortunate. My, my GM at Marseille has, I worked with him at Rockefeller center in the late nineties. So he's, he's a superstar and run this restaurant, you know, pretty much uh, since I, since I stopped being the GM, but just to realize that it's not now it's, now it's the new GM's team. Like yeah. he has to be, he has to be the main figure. Like yeah. I, I can't let people come to me and say, Hey, he did this. I don't like that. You know, you have to let it's somebody else's team. It's no longer your team. Is it because you, you, how many years did you spend there every day? I, six or seven years. I mean, and, every day. And you built it. Yeah. And, and that's a part of your identity. Sure. Right. And I think that people get in trouble because they let a restaurant be a part of their identity. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to have a part of your identity reflect. Like you should, there, a restaurant should have, your identity in it, but you can't have it hinge on your identity, right? No, no, it's, and it's, and restaurants, you know, really, you know, it talks about longevity. Restaurants really are, are like people. I mean, they, they evolve, they grow, they, you know, the needs of the neighborhoods change. I mean, it's not, Marseille has not been the same restaurant for 22 years. Yes. We, we're basically on like a four year cycle. We go, a little more casual, then we go a little more upscale, then we go a little more casual. It's, you know, it depends on what the time calls for. And, you know, during COVID, you know, we reopened in July of 2020, serving only the neighborhood outside on the sidewalk because there was no, you know, no tourist guests, no theater, uh, you know, no theater goers. And it was it's a good way to kind of figure out who's who, right? Like who's still here? You know what? And it's been, it, it, it's been transformative for for that restaurant because we were able to focus on our on our neighborhood right yeah, we like, didn't you know we're in this neighborhood we we do serve everybody and theater is a big is a big driver you know theater goer the theater performer 
Um, you know, and it's, you know, we're full at six o'clock in this neighborhood. It's, it's, it's unique, but it's also a vibrant, you know, neighborhood where people live and, you know, live and work and, and, and sleep in Hell's Kitchen. And usually we share our neighbors with all these people who are visiting, but in, in COVID, they're all we had. So we were able to get, you know, we were able to develop much deeper connections because yeah. we were only serving neighbors. Get rid of all the noise. And then right. when we reopened, we had a deeper connection with our neighborhood and everybody else flocking back. Yeah, that's cool. So when you're giving, when you had a transition out of Marseille for the first time, yeah. um, and you were saying it was hard for you that that transition from going from one to two, what things happened at Marseille that weren't there before that had to happen for you to go? Um, well, we did it. You know, a lot of what we'll talk about, you know, we, we grow and then build, backfill the systems and structure to, uh, to uh, accommodate the growth. Yes. Right? So That's, it's very common. I'm sure you. Yes. You, I was hoping it. you'd get into the system and structure. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Sh- I'm sure you, we're, I'm sure you've heard it many times, but it's, you know, it's, it's uh, most restaurant, most independent restaurateurs do it yeah. with, you know, fly first, you know, build the plane later. Yeah. We yeah. don't realize it, but when we weren't there. We're keeping constant gentle pressure. We're, constantly keeping things in place if we're not there to say hey that belongs here hey put that back here if you don't have systems and ways to keep those standards in place usually it hinges on a person being there and everybody knows the boss is here so you better make the boss happy but when the boss isn't there it's so easy for things to drift right because there's nobody keeping it in place so you need certain things in place to replace yourself what were those things that you guys started doing that or maybe put more emphasis on doing because you weren't there every day well, I guess the biggest was really was really you know developing great people and letting mm. them and and letting them take the responsibility and letting them have have setbacks and and grow. The, yeah. the, number one, you know, you need great people because the systems are not going to solve, uh, you know, not going to solve that. You know, yeah. you can put in checklists and you can you can put in, um, you know, walkthroughs and you know, all types of things. But yeah. people. You know, you need people who who care, you know, who know the place, who know what it's about, who want to build culture, who want to advance your culture. Hopefully, yeah. you know, and and the rules of, of of how you want your restaurant to be, and so that's number one. And but how do you do that? And then how do you do that in the second, and the third, and the fourth? Like, it's it, you know, it's not easy, and it never no. stops. No. So now is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsor, and we'll be right back to talk about how you did it with each new restaurant that you had your foot in. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Are you looking to grow your restaurant in 2023? Are you and your team focusing on driving more revenue? Or are you interested in connecting with diners more? Maybe you want to increase sales without physically expanding on your brick and mortar. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you're looking for Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy. Attract more guests to your website that's designed to easily connect their contact info and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business. And why wouldn't you want to make all of your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence? Pop Menu, technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's entire collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We are back and... 
All right, man. We talked a lot about the, your come up, uh, your first time as an owner, going from one to two, the transition from one to two. Uh, now, along that vein of evolution and challenges, what was next? What was the biggest challenge for you as a restaurateur? Well, then it took off. I mean, so, you know, one to two was one challenge. Then we opened the third restaurant on the same block, uh, and that was the first five napkin burger. Okay. 2008. So, 2008. And so, and that, you know, we're used to kind of opening restaurants and iterating and, you know, if, if you love the name, by the way, if I'm, it tells you exactly yeah. what you're in for. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that, you know, again, I'll say Simon was prescient, uh, that he, he, he trademarked that and he came up with that name and trademarked it in 2003. All right. We gotta look up the name of this word. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> prescient. How do you spell that? P R E S. Yeah. C I E N T. Prescient. Let's hope I'm using it properly. I'm <laughs> putting you on the spot now. Doing this live. Let's see. Having or showing knowledge of events before they take place. Ah, so uh, visionary uh, uh, foresight. Yeah. yeah, nailed it. You like that? Yeah, good so use used, of the I, word. I used it twice. So, so quick <laughs> aside. So we 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 touched on Nice Matan, and when Andy joined our group, 2003, when they opened Nice Matan, um, Simon came to Andy and said, Hey, I want you to put the five napkin something. I want you to put a burger on the menu called the five napkin burger. And, um, Nice Baton was a beautiful Southern French restaurant. And Andy had, you know, was a fine dining chef and said, all right, all right, new, all right, new partner. I'll put this burger on called the five napkin burger. He made it French. Uh, so he put, he put comte cheese at the time, caramelized onions, rosemary, Ooh. aioli, and that bur- that dish stole all the press from the Nice Matan opening. I mean, when it was, it was in the New York, in the, in the two star New York times review, it was on every best burger list and, and really was what everybody talked about. So is this, wait, is this burger, we're not talking yeah. about five napkin, the restaurant no, right not now. Not yet. We're talking about five napkin, the burger. So the burger was uh, invented before the rest. Five years prior. Okay. So and the, that was on Marseille's menu. Nice Matan. Nice Matan. Yeah. And that was one of the restaurants that you d- were not a part of because right. you chose to focus on Marseille. Right. So Andy D'Amico joins the group. They open up this beautiful Southern French restaurant. Uh, and that was the first time we saw, the, you know, the five napkin burger. Got it. And so 2003, that was, that was back when. You know, every casual fine dining restaurant had had the fifteen dollar burger yeah. on the menu, basically. And it was shortly after DB uh, uh, DB had opened and had their you know foie gras burger, and so there was it was a thing. But you know, we used the name the Five Napkin Burger starting in two thousand three. Yeah. So when we wanted to open a burger restaurant, we had the dish and we had the name, and then we built it in this American brasserie package that we thought the neighborhood would love. So when I first heard of Five Napkin, uh, when David um, referred you to me to be a guest on the show, yep. uh, I assumed it was like a burger-only joint. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Like, yeah. I was expecting there to be a bunch of like very creative, messy burgers that you, mm-hmm. like, you're in for a ride when you eat this thing. Yep. And it's not the case. You have a whole suite. Yeah, of menu items, healthy stuff too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's a, it's it, and we've and over the years the menu is was was much bigger when we started. We had sushi on the we had a sushi section. We had uh, a bigger entree section. We we've had you know it's really a restaurant. It it, yeah. it, it, it you could change the name and call it whatever you want. It's a it's a American brasserie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but built around the burger. Got so it. as we're as we'll talk about, that's it's a little challenging. Um, to work against the perception sometime. Well, yeah, I was going to, is that misleading for people? Were they going there expecting what I described the first time? Well, yes and no. In New York City, not a problem. Because Why is that? We've got great 
visible real estate and corner locations. And you could walk by, you see the name, people, you smile. But then you look in, you see, oh, this is a beautiful restaurant. Yeah. You know, say, oh, this is a cool place. Say, oh, great. There's a bar. I could go in and sit with, with an empty bar stool. I could yeah. sit down if I want. Yeah. Like, I, oh, I can look at the menu outside. Oh, I don't, eat, I don't eat meat, but I bet they do a great veggie burger. So New York City, you know, what, thousands, of your, thousands of people are walking by your storefront every day. You know, you, you can tell the story by your trade dress, right? When you go, you know, as we took, as we took Five Napkin into other markets, was a little harder because the first time people were hearing about it was was in in writing, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, they may or may not see it, but oh, they read a great you know they read a great write up. Let me go, and then they they're expecting you know milkshakes and 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 the whole thing, which which is what we do and we do very well. But it's but we do more than that. Yeah, and, and gotcha. That's, and that's what can be uh, yeah so challenging. Um, this was also the first restaurant that was your vision. Is that safe to say? Uh, no, definitely the group. I mean, group, it was, it was project, the three of us for sure. Yeah, usually you see CEO, you assume visionary, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I hate the term. That's why, <laughs> that's, uh, it's, that's, you know, that's why it's slash, uh, slash head coach. You okay. know, I, I always, you know, we, we got up to seven or eight rest units and they're like, well, we need somebody to be the CEO. And like, all right. So it's definitely where I'm, I'm spending, you know, was spending most of my time and, uh, you know, for the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, the, um, but it's definitely a group project. Um, okay, so along this vein of evolution, what was the next big challenge for you? Yeah, so so shifting from, you know, cre- you know, creating concepts, creating yeah. concepts for for specific places, and then moving to try to replicate. Yeah, um, and 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 then we'll get into all the stories of growing super fast and and uh, and and all the above. But so yeah. you, from the the first location, two thousand eight. At one yeah. point, you had seven locations. When yeah. at what? How many years elapsed until you're at seven locations? It's probably three or four. I mean, we so you know shortly after we opened on the Upper West Side on eighty fourth and Broadway. Uh, that was six months after, eight months after, you know, because the, wow. the the success was w- was so huge for the first one. They were like, "Oh, we got to do more, right?" Yeah. So, so we did it. We found a great corner, and we're still there today. Then we went to Astoria, uh, you know, within another six months. For people who aren't familiar with New yeah. York, like, give us an idea of how far apart these locations are. Um, you know, a couple of miles. I mean, you know, the forty blocks to get to the Upper West Side. But then when you go to Queens, now you've crossed the river, and so it's yeah. you know, it, you take forty five minutes in the subway. Uh, and so all of a sudden figuring out how to, one, does this concept work in this new location? And two, how do I manage it when I'm not there every, you know, how do we manage it when we're not there every day? Yeah. Uh, Well, at least you stayed in the same, like, like general geographic. I think a lot of people get in trouble. They try to go like across the country with concepts. We did that. We did that next. Oh, okay. Never mind. Whoops. That was (laughs) swallowing my words right now. Yeah. What'd you learn from the, was that that a bad experience or? You know what? It's when you have, or am I wrong? It was hard, you know, yeah. and, and it's, and especially when you haven't built the systems and infrastructure first, right? So, you know, we were, uh, concept creators and now you're trying to be brand builders, right? It's, okay. it's, it's a different, uh, scenario. And, you know, as you start, oh, you're doing great and you're doing great in New York. And the people say, well, you got to bring it here and you got to, yeah. and the, you know, the money folks say, oh, you're doing, you you know, you're doing great, but if, but, but New York numbers don't count you have yeah. to, you have to do it somewhere else. Mm. Um, do you, do you believe that today? Uh, no, no. I mean, if, if I were, I still hear it. I mean, I heard it in a different context last yeah. week and I get it. And, and it, it's, it's knowledge, but you have to, you know, in retrospect, you have to go slowly. You, you do need to get a brand into different neighborhoods, 
but you have to go slow enough that you can be iterating and make it work. So knowing what you know now, yeah, because uh, so you you scaled to seven, you're back down to two. Uh, knowing what you know now, um, continuing to learn, continuing to grow since then, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, I mean, I think we would have. You know, we could have gone slower, right? As especially the first time you leave your home market. What would have gone going slower? provided you uh you could be there more it's be there you know for a year for two years if, if it takes you know having one of the principals or you know key key people or you know when you have a new york opening team there like if if that team's there for six days it has one impact if it's there for six months it has another impact so yeah it's, it's one of those things that you do uh and especially when you have uh when you have to adapt your formula a little bit for a different market you need to be nimble enough and have and, and have the ability to do that to make sure that it's going to work. Right? You can't, you know, you, you you can't do exactly the same thing in each market. You have to have a little bit of iteration. Why is that? Well, you know, it's it's um, you know, some brands do it. I mean, I, I think in general, it's you know, you well, know, even in your sales mix is different, right? Well, my so, mind goes to QSR, right? Yes. And I think in that circumstance, you want it to be as the same as possible. Yes, but there are still regional differences and in, in, in slight regional differences in the menu or pricing or and or, you know, it, pri- yeah. pricing is a drop different or yeah. there's, there's added items, there's subtracted items. So it's 90% the same. Mm-hmm. But you also need to know, really understand the market and know where you need to be. Got right. It. So so there there's that. And, and it's. You know, we are, we're so New York centric. We're, we, we're here, we live in New York. We, we spend a lot of time here. We enjoy it. Um, so to go into another market is, is a challenge. They're, they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned something that was a quick little subtle mention, but I think it has a lot of weight. You said something about building the infrastructure before. Yeah. So what, get into the specifics of what you would have done to build. What specifically did you think you needed to build out before scaling? So we, we we said the word the S word systems you yeah. know to to really do it I mean tra- training training materials and training manuals and to really you know tell the story of the food you're serving you know the steps of service but also the culture and mm. and to do you know everything everything needs to be written down and more you know even better it should be in video nowadays it's yeah. you know it's it's a lot more effective to tell a story visually than uh, than just in the written words so to really systematize and standardize the operations in a way that makes it a little bit more replicable. Paint the picture of where your standards were for five napkin in say 2010 when you were aggressively scaling. Yeah. So it was, you know, it, again, it was really built around great people, you know, mm-hmm. between us and our hard work. And then a lot of people who really from, who worked in the first store and had worked with us in other restaurants who really loved the brand and wanted, you know, had this passion. I mean, our opening teams and every out of town opening we did were phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. The, where we fell short was how do we, how do we, uh, you know, how do we keep that, uh, keep that going after we leave? Right. So try, try to get granular and specific. Yeah. Like I know today, you know, all about systems and processes and, and I know you're a part of branded hospitality and they're all about basically like marrying hospitality and technology. All what is technology? It's just a system. That's right. all it is. It's a system that you're or a tool. I mean, I call tool. It a, a tool to help make you implement systems more effectively, yeah. efficiently. Right. So the cool thing is we have all these technologies today is that can be systems or tools that you can literally cut and paste uh, that process, that service as a software. Uh, somebody's dedicated their life to building out a 
a checklist system or a labor management system or an accounts payable system or accounts receivable system. And you, as somebody who's passionate about hospitality and showing creating community and showing love, you might, your brain might not be wired for that. You could go build your own system, sure. but would it be as good as somebody who's a friggin' nerd who dedicates their life to that? Probably not. Right. What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where the idea, but, behind branded strategic hospitality came around okay in that you know we wanted to have all, i mean i am myself and, and michael schatzberg uh who's who's really the founder of branded strategic we're, we're always early adopters and willing to try new tech and and try it in the restaurant and we were always yearning for something to help yeah you know, to help make it easier like i don't want to be building this model in excel i know there's a better way yeah you know what is it um, you know, I think Marseille was customer number 200 on open table or something, you know, yeah. the, the customer numbers started at one and like ours is, ours but is very low. You're, you're making a good point. Yeah. When, when this evolution, 2008 to 2010, when you guys were scaling hard, the, the restaurant industry was still kind of in the dark ages. Oh yeah. And and yeah. It's, it's just cl- still just crawling out now. Yeah. And it was because of the pandemic that's really forced a lot of people to get literally forced. You have to use technology sure. to stay relevant today. For sure. Um, so but I think it's interesting because I started this podcast 2012, 2013, I want to say. Yeah, 2000, I think it was 2013 when we, when like you started seeing things like, I think at the, at the time the caught schedules was on scene. Yep. Uh, Schedule Fly was another big example of technology. I think labor management was where you saw a lot of like the first. Sure, kind of reservations and labor management were, yeah, were, but, were kind of the first two. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, what's available to us today, it's just light years ahead to what was going on for sure. 15 years ago. And, the, you know, Ed, but 15 years ago or, or 10 years ago, you know, the big chains had, had built a lot of it themselves. Yes, right? exactly. So, you know, when I was looking to scale five napkin, I, I needed to pick a POS solution. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, oh, well, what is Cheesecake Factory using? Right. Yeah. And the, the product I would buy, you know, was, was not what they were using because they have an IT team to build on top of. And, and, cu- and custom. Deep pockets back at that point. Oh, a whole, you know, yeah. wh- whoever the brand was, these, the brands had this ability to build their own. Well, yeah, uh, they also had, I think back then, if you really wanted to get the information, you had to go to somebody who had it in that they were charging a lot of money unless you sure. went and worked for those companies and you you learn from the inside out right but back then i think consultants the 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 the, the business of restaurant consulting was huge sure. because it wasn't online you couldn't yeah. do a google search and find out all this information now it's all out there sure. you know um, because of resources like this and so many other restaurantowner.com that that made this information available to your average joe to for, anybody for sure. who could pay a dollar a day to get access to a library of, of information that you could plug these systems into your business. For sure. So it makes sense that it was a challenge. Oh, anybody yeah. going through it back then would have been faced with this challenge. Yeah. So what systems that knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. you know, after 15 more years of getting experience in the industry, what systems did you not have that you wish you did? Um, well, I guess, you know, for training, you know, to have it, to have everything digitized all, you know, to be able to, to make a change to the sepsis service, you know, in real time and push it out to locations in multiple cities. And so what does your training look like today? Yeah. So on on the training side, just all of these processes that we do, the, you know, the fun and exciting ones, like the, the, you know, the food and beverage videos and and what, what makes this cool and how to sell it. That's one piece, but Mm -hmm. like 
how to do a cash out and like how to, you know, how to drop money or how to, you know, what to do with invoices and like all of these things that, you know, tasks that restaurants need to do. Yeah. It's, you know, you have to tell people exactly how to do them if you want them done a certain way. So knowing what I know about uh, branded hospitality, this translates to blanket, me's. Yes. When we're talking about training, right? What other platforms are associated Uh, with? Uh, well, Ovation, I, I use that more for feedback to, you know, Ovation's a feedback tool, but maybe since we're transitioning into technology and systems yeah. and processes, does it make sense to explain what branded is? Sure. And maybe then reflect using the suite of tools that you now have at your disposal and yeah. where those would have plugged in to your story coming up. Well, let's start with how it started, right? So we were saying Michael Schatzberg, you know, was a New York city, uh, operator, restaurateur, and we had some. Uh, you know, c- kind of part of our, our broader restaurant family. Um, and the it started where he and I are, are, you know, beta testing tech, you know, very early when these are, you know, rudimentary tools 10 years ago. And to your point, you said, well, you know, it'd be better off if the geeks who are really passionate about this are doing it. The question is, where they they were creating products that without having any rest without having any restaurant experience yeah and so we were we were as an early adopter we're the the first customers. They need guinea pig they need like an end user they need guinea yeah. pig and then they need all this knowledge yeah right? they need you know we're you know we'd sit down and, and and talk about the products and you know what i need is is it to do x y and z and they'd say well well why is that and we'd say well in a restaurant you need to do x y and z yeah and so we found ourselves you know teaching a lot um, yeah because they came from technology and from software and not necessarily from restaurants yeah uh and so you know doing this once or twice is great but then you're seeing them grow and you know uh you know all, all of a sudden we're now too small to help them they you know we only handle multi-units and and all this kind of scenario so we realized that our knowledge and our experience as as restaurateurs is invaluable to this industry and and to this eco ecosystem. Yes. Uh, so when when did you get involved with branded hospitality? Is that 2019? Sounds right. Yeah. I mean, I, that's was the first couple years, and it was you know uh, Michael Schatzberg and then Jimmy Frischling uh, joined joined, and they really the, are the founders of the company. And they called me up and they said, "Hey, I want you to, you know, we want you to be involved as an advisor and help us." you know, advise, you know, we think there's something here. We don't know exactly what it is, but we're, we think there's something here that we're going to put together that's going to be really great. Uh, what were Michael and Jimmy doing before this? Uh, well, Michael was was running restaurants. He okay. had, you know, Big Daddies and a couple of other brands in New York City, and he was kind of moving, uh, you know, it was, was running restaurants full-time. Jimmy came from finance, um, and they realized that, hey, there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, one, there's such a need in the industry for great technology mm-hmm. and great companies to help, you know, like we're talking about. And then two, we have this restaurant experience that can help, um, you know, that these companies need. And so we, we started there and it's, you know, it's, I'm a, a very small piece of it. I, I'm still a, still a beta tester and, okay. and offer opinions at the end of the day. I was curious but, what your role was if you were like kind of like invested or what that was going on there. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm an advisor really. So I, I mean, and again, that comes to being willing to test products, right? So yeah. they, we see lots of cool stuff and, and now it's become, you know, it, it's become much, you know, branded has become a much bigger thing and has, and has been, you know, investing uh, you know, investing directly in about 20 companies, I believe, at this point. So when they invest uh, in companies, are they investing in restaurants or tech companies to support restaurants? Uh, tech companies that, that service the restaurant yeah. industry. So the, 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 the description 
of um, branded hospitality is investment and advisory platform at the intersection of food service, technology, and uh, innovation and capital. So it sounds like they're kind of like the glue between, okay, like we have touch points with people within the industry. and we also have touch points with developers and coders or whatever. Yep. Um, and, and we're basically saying like, where, the, where's the pain and how can we create solutions for that? Because we are so close to the industry and then we can sell our solutions to the general, the, the greater restaurant industry. For sure. Is that kind of what's going on? Absolutely. The, interse- okay. the intersection of all those items. So we've, you know, at this point there it's, it has, uh, you know, it's a fund. So we've, so we've, we've raised money to invest in, in, in early stage hospitality tech companies. Um, but at the same time, we want to make investments in products that we believe in and teams that we believe in and teams that we think we can help. Yeah. So that's the thesis. And you know, like, again, I'm just, I'm a small part where I'll, I'll beta test anything and, yeah. and see if it offers value and, and, and opine. This is just my own curiosity yeah. now. Cause I've seen branded around. I remember when they first hit the scene, I, I saw, especially cause they have their own podcast. Yeah. They have, um, what is it? The, the hospitality hangout, hospitality hangout. Yeah. yeah. And where it's Michael and Jimmy who are the hosts, right? Mm-hmm. And um, looking at this uh, list of their portfolio, I mean, some names that I recognize immediately, Bebot, which is no longer, uh, which that was acquired, acquired but they, they've been guests on the show. Yeah. Blanket is a company I'm very interested in. Speaking bl- like bluntly, I've heard a lot of bad things about Jolt being kind of outdated and antiquated and not willing to evolve. And Blanket's coming out of left field with like newer technology and better coding from what I've heard. I haven't used it yet personally, but it's essentially Jolt. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, I'm, not, I'm not super familiar with Jolt, but I know Blanket. Yeah, so that's checklist management, essentially, right? Yeah, Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong at any point. Uh, Chally is another one that I recognize, um, which is uh, online ordering. Correct me? Yeah. Yeah, and then we have, which also is Bebot, which is a little bit of an overlap there. But I see that you're using Bebot in some of your restaurants for uh, online ordering. I am, I do. Yeah. Um, going through, what else did I see that I recognize? Um, I saw Ovation. Yeah. But I was, because I'm curious because uh, Ovation was founded by Zach Oates. Zach Kurt. Oates, yeah. So is sorry, is that an example of where you come in as an investor because you see somebody who you believe in and the technology you believe in? Yes. Yeah, Got exa- it. exactly. Got it. Um, Mies is another company I love. Really excited. What's Mies? Uh, so Mies is a, is a recipe management tool. It's uh, kind of like blanket, but for back of house. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of the a lot of the companies and products like do. There is some overlap, right? But but Mies is really uh, I can I use it as a as a recipe software. Right? So yeah. all the five napkin recipes are built out there. It's linked to our uh, our, our really getting our recipe cost by item uh, based on changing input prices. Yeah. So like say you look at the shelves and you have catering and there's only a hundred pounds of flour in your pizza place and you have a order for seven hundred pizzas. That's crazy numbers, but yeah, it's like. You could use that to figure yeah, out how like, much flour. Do you I need. have enough flour? Right. So, like, what? So you can change one variable in, in the recipe that maybe is like what you are almost out of, and that will tell you what your output will be on the other side. Yes. So, if there's one limiting ingredient that you're running low on, it will tell you what you can make with that. So, why is this important? Well, if you have, if say you're not in the restaurant today because you're opening your third location, like we were talking about before, but the kitchen manager knows there's this tool. They, they, they're given the tools that make the decisions on their own. 
Yeah, it's it, if the tool if it's a good tool, it makes that kitchen manager's job easier. Yes, right. So instead of him him or her trying to figure out that calculation themselves, they can go to a tool that's that's hopefully going to help them get the answer more quickly and accurately. But I think there's also um, on the recipe building, like the actual like there's similar to blanket. Uh, it's almost like a step by step process. Like, hey, like if you reach this point of the the recipe. Here's a video to show you what you do. Yeah, so, so you can. We use it really more in that fashion as a, as a recipe. So training, back training. to what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so back before. in training. So if you're instead of pulling out a book, you know, with pictures of of the recipes and step by step, you know, now now it's on your tablet and you can flip between a, a plating recipe and a prep recipe, right? So if you want to make the five napkin burger, you need to know the items to assemble, but. If you want to know what our rosemary aioli is, you have to go into the prep recipe. So it's all of the detail of, of everything we do uh, online. And, and the biggest thing is that you can change it, right? So if, if, if Andy wakes up tomorrow and wants to you know, change olive oils and, and redo the recipe, he can push the current recipe out to the stores and not worry about. I think Mies is a great I love tool. I um, love uh, and the past sponsor of the show, they're a current affiliate. Uh, so, okay. a little, okay. so a little plug here if you guys are interested in what we're talking about. Yep. We will have links in the show notes. If you use our links, they pay us a commission. It really supports the show. Thank you in advance. I also see you have Margin Edge under the suite of tools, past sponsor of the show. Okay. What's Margin Edge? You know, I'm not best to talk on Margin Edge. I've never used it. Okay. I've demoed it a few times, but I, for me, it's more in the... Uh, Data entry. Yeah, right. data entry, AP automation, yeah. so the intersection of AP automation and inventory. Yeah, essentially scanning invoices um, yep. that pulls that data, does the data entry for you. Just ways to streamline process, right, using yes. technology. Um, so I'm just going through. I, saw, I already said Ovation. Making sure there was anything else that I missed that immediately jumps out. But, um, I mean, this is exciting for me because I also noticed that a lot of your brands are listed as the the beta yeah so i think it was close to like almost 50 percent of the restaurants listed under the yeah beta sure i mean that's concepts. that's part of what we what you know one of our value propositions in creating the company right is that we have restaurants right so we, we have we have restaurants at different levels we have fine dining concepts we have counter service we have uh you know fa- you know casual dining like five napkins so you know there's different products for each segment of the industry and we can kind of test them all and, and offer opinions on all of them I, mean, I think it's just it's just smart, but I mean beyond what you're doing is great. Honestly, man, if I had the money, what you're doing right now like would be what I would love to do as a podcast. Like mm-hmm. getting in there, getting teams to uh, like basically just just to. I guess what I would like to do is document what's happening, but being yeah. able to like have my own restaurants that I own, right, and like implementing these technologies, but not just implementing them, like being like this is how we did it. Yeah, you know, like this is this is these are the tools we're using, right? Sure. This is and like taking people along and like I wouldn't be the operator because I honestly think I'd suck at that shit. But I'm yeah. really good at like rallying people. You yeah, know, it was funny. And, I hadn't thought about it, but just a few years ago, and I mean five or six years ago, I was on a podcast where it was all about a pitch. So I was the I was the restaurateur, and they had a they had a, a an early stage tech founder come pitch me about the product, and yeah. and we kind of picked holes in it. It was it was super interesting. So I mean, what does it make sense to, to how to spend the, the rest of our time? We got about fifteen minutes of forty five minutes left if we go all the way right. So where do you want to talk? How do you think what, the man you are, the skills you have, the experiences you had? I think it's a really unique experience too. Like mm-hmm. I've never had anybody on the show that kind of is in the in between. 
this like this this constant push for technological innovation and then testing these things and then you have multiple restaurants that your partners in you know where does it make sense to start talking um you know, I don't know. I guess maybe the future, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of at the, the midpoint of my career. I think, is there still bone meat on the bone from the, the, the story of five napkins scaling it? Do we cut that short? I think we got it. I mean, we could spend a little more time there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's Well, we talked about training. You talked about systems, yeah, building and, the infrastructure before and, scaling. And, and you know what? And really one of the challenges is, is you know, the overhead, right? So what, what does overhead mean, right? Do you need So if you're going to run a restaurant company in multiple cities, you need... You know, you, you need operations people. You need you need you need people who are going to fly. You know, every week and are yeah. constantly on the road. You need a bigger HR team. You need recruiting. You yeah. need you know, and it happens in in any restaurant brands. But if you go to go from to three restaurants to ten restaurants, you need the back office to, yes. to, to you need it when you have three, and and yes. and you can get to maybe you could support ten with the same people, yeah. but you got to be ready to pay for that. Yes. You know, it's, and, it's, and this is when words like, or acronyms like EBITDA come in, yes, right? And yes. capital investors. And yes. I think that's a world that's exploding right now because I think the industry has, has pin marked a, a, a point of pain for the industry is at that point that you're talking about. When you go from, you can get to one to eight on your own, right? Yep. But when you start getting to, let's go from eight to 20 yep. and then 20 to sixty and sure. then sixty to a hundred and eighty in ten years, you can't do that unless you have a second round of funding, right? You have sure. your first restaurant, I need to go raise a million dollars to open my first restaurant. Then you scale that, you almost let cash flow scale that, right? But then when you get to that point where you want to push hard and you get to hire the C the, the level people, yep. your CEO, your chief of marketing, your chief of finance, your chief of all the chiefs, sure. those are all six figure plus salaries. Yep. yep. Right? So, like, you need to go back out and go to investors and be like, we need to raise how much? Yeah. Well, you, you know, know that's million, the, hundreds of millions. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, not hundreds at first, but yeah, but whatever it is, but eventually it, it feels like it, it seems like it. And it's, and it's very hard. And like the, you know, I, you're seeing now, I'm in, mean, I'm seeing now companies that are investing in, in restaurant brands earlier, mm. um, with that thesis, right. Yeah. That, you know, there's so many great brands that never made it to, you know, to, to 10 and they, they, they blew up along the road. Yeah. If they had had somebody come in and help them earlier, and support them earlier, they could have gone further. Yeah, and uh, basically, it's like it's like running a whole new business. So, like, you yeah. might know how to run a, a restaurant, the traditional model, but once you get to that next level, you need those people with experience, sure, who know how to build the C suite, who know the new systems and processes, the channel of communication. Like, it's a whole different beast, and a lot of people flounder making and, that transition. And they're not, and no one should really have both skill sets, right? So, yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're an entrepreneur and a creator, and like, why why would you know how to scale? Yeah, right. You may think you can, you have confidence, but why why would you really know how to do what somebody who who has scaled, yeah, you know, in in one of those roles or, or fulfilled one of those roles really well? Yeah, that's you know that's where the challenge comes in. So along that vein, then how how have you changed? how you do business because I mentioned, I think you mentioned earlier, you were talking the word uh, fractional executive came out of your mouth. Oh yeah. We were talking hell's a fractional executive. (laughs) Well now that on the five napkin side, now that we've gotten a little bit smaller, you know, we can, you know, first of all, the company is always was a New York city company. We left New York um, to, you know, four or five napkin. We were in four or five different markets and now we're, we were on our way back to Manhattan even before COVID. Um, And so, 
you know, as New York as New York City operators with a New York City focus, we can again do things a little bit more hands on because that's that that's what we like and who we are. Um, but we still want to operate. You know, it's you know, never know when we'll be ready to start growing again. Whether you still it, need that chief at arm's length. Yeah, whether right. it's this brand or another brand. And and I guess the lesson I I mentioned it briefly is that you no one can do everything. And, you know, and I guess one of the things I've tried to do over my career is to is to do a little bit of everything. Um, and you realize now that there are experts in marketing or human resources or yeah. finance and get experts involved sooner. And the, ex, you know, get uh, experts in specific subjects involved sooner. Like what and subjects? Give so me an example. marketing was the one we were talking about. Yeah. So, so we work with Rev Ciancio as you know kind of a fractional chief marketing officer right yep. so i i have a small corporate team and and i i run the marketing department well i want to have a thought partner yes uh, and someone who's living almost like a coach almost like a coach yeah uh, for a, a coach for me and for my team yeah but at the same time because i you know any the marketing team needs to have someone who's teaching them marketing you know, I've I've got a lot of great ideas and say, hey guys, I want you to market this. Uh, they need somebody to call and say, how do we market this? You know, and someone to learn from, someone yeah. someone who's teaching, helping them learn marketing. I can help them learn restaurants and brand creation and all the stuff that I do. But to have, like a coach, you know, but fra- fractional CMO or, or whatnot. I mean, Revs, you know, he's on the call with the team with us once a week, and we, you know, him and I do strategy sessions uh, separate from those meetings, and we're always kind of pointing at the horizon. So um, the the example I can think of, and not many people know this about my my background, but some people know I was a commercial pilot before this. But before I started flying professionally, after I graduated school for aviation flight operations, I had a middle period where I was working as a crew service representative, where I was working with commercial pilots to basically do all the, the grunt work behind the scenes, like setting up customs, booking hotel rooms, uh, ordering food through the FBO and all this other stuff. Um, but we were known as a fractional company. Mm. And the way that it worked is if you had good money and you wanted to buy a jet, or a, a turboprop airplane, but you only fly, you know, I don't know, like five times a year, you can buy like 2% of an airplane. And depending on the size of the purchase of that airplane you purchased would determine the amount of time you would get in that airplane, right? So maybe you fly a lot, you could buy a whole plane, but you'd have access to the fleet sure. of planes. Cool. So is it kind of it's kind of like that in the sense that maybe you're a growing company where you you you're doing big company work but you're not quite there yet so you can afford to pay for a fraction of a ceo's salary and share that ceo with a bunch of other people yeah one way to look at it you know what it is i i I think as much as anything like the independent segment of the market like never really did these things right so we didn't market 15 years ago like you tried to get good press and get a good review in the newspaper and maybe you place some ads but now we realize, hey, we have to market. We're competing for, you know, yeah. now we have to now we have to be digital marketers. I yeah. have to compete online with, you know, with, with Chipotle um, yeah. and their app and whatever app I use has to has to be a reasonable facsimile of what you know what they're spending you know tens and hundreds of millions of dollars on. So, so the independent segment, the, the independent operators have things and tasks that they need to do better now, and yeah. they need experts to help them do that because you know we're otherwise you're learning you, it's easy to spend it's, money yeah easy to spend money on facebook ads you can yeah. you hook up your credit card you can spend ten thousand dollars between today and tomorrow 
Will you get a return? Yeah. Do you know how to target the right people, or are you just shotgunning? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So how many chiefs are you fractionally working with? Is there just the marketing, or do you... Well, um, let me think about that. Uh, Is there a company out there that basically acts as a middle person to help you connect with the CEO or whatever the chief that's right for you? Not, no. I there mean, should be. Yeah, Let's right. Let's talk afterwards. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'd like to hear your perspective on it. Somebody asked me the question last week. Hey, can we, you know, if, if we build out a better team in, in human resources and finance and marketing, can we offer this to a service for other, other businesses? And I said, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what the value is, right? Um, unless you can do it, you can create a tech product that helps them and charge, you know, per month, per unit, per, uh, per locations. You know, that's a different story. So it's in, it's kind of in this thing between services and and need. Yeah. Um, so you know, marketing is a big one, um, but certainly finance. Everybody, you know, everybody has, has always had an accountant, right? But do you have uh, a fractional controller? You know, could yeah. could be a big one because you know, restaurant companies have, have, you know, independent restaurant companies have very lean uh, corporate staff. You know, where the the entrepreneur. What I back to what I learned from Dr. Joe Santo and and uh, is that. You know, the money's made in the restaurant mm-hmm. and there's this mindset from the independent restaurant tour. You have to be, you know, if you're not in the restaurant, you know, you're, you're doing something wrong and if you're in the office. That's not where the money's made. Right. So it's, it's the, you know, the mindset of the restaurant tour is, is lean, 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 you know, focused on the gas or the lights and the music. Right. I mean, this is exactly why one of the big reasons why I drive around the country, because I realize that restaurant tours are hardwired to show up for the person that shows up at their front door. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you could email them all day. Yeah. Something's going to pop up that is going to be more important than your Zoom call. For sure. You know, so like, but if you show up with all of your gear at the front step, like they're going to hold that. <laughs> they're going to hold that appointment because you're showing up. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, it's a big part of why I do it. But also, I think just the, the connection with the guests is way better too. Yeah. And the audio, call, all that other stuff. But, yeah, you know, showing up. I, I, I told the story last week and it made me laugh. I hadn't thought about it in a while. But it, we used to say if you wanted to get hired in a restaurant, like back when it was this labor market, it's it's pretty easy to get hired in a restaurant. But you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, you know, if, if there's a restaurant you wanted to work at and you couldn't get in, just show up for brunch in uniform and say they <laughs> say they sent you. you One know, day you're gonna overlap where somebody doesn't show up and they're gonna use you. No, just show up at <laughs> yeah. Sunday brunch and like you'll be on. Yeah, yeah. No problem. All right. <laughs> Nobody. That's awesome. I love that. So, okay. So. um I think now we can start talking about basically uh, the or start transitioning into the future of the industry uh, and like the present time, like where we are today. Yeah. But I am kind of curious before we move into the the, the, the future. I, I I dropped a bunch of um, tools that I recognize that's affiliated with branded hospitality. But of those suite of tools that you're using in your restaurant, like which ones are you most excited about? Like which which tools are you getting a lot of ROI on with your with your implementation of them? I'd say Ovation. I mean, we, we mentioned it briefly, but you know, Ovation is yeah. a feedback tool. So any on five, not, but more, you know, that's a feedback tool slash CRM, you know, in a way. And so if you, um, so break those into two compartments, right? Yeah. Feedback and then CRM, which one do you want to start with? So start with feedback. Okay. So right now, if you place a digital order, so if you order online for, um, at, at five napkin burger, for delivery or takeout, you get texted a survey, you know, 20 minutes afterwards or whatever the, the timing is. Uh, and now we just say, you know, do you have time for a 30 second survey? And basically you're saying thumbs up or thumbs down, but it's, it's real time. We get it in the restaurant and it's two way text. So if you, if you go thumbs down and you write, they forgot my French fries, 
we text Skirt. you back. We, we <laughs> yeah. text you back and say, hey, I'm sorry about that. Let me send somebody with your French fries. Yes. So now you've just transitioned from customer service tool, you know, from feedback tool to customer service tool. Yes. And so I'm excited. I'm very excited about the two about the two way communications we have with our guests. Yeah, there was a product that I used to follow pretty close. I don't think they're around anymore. But it was called the Hum Systems, and mm. I remember the. The, the idea is the same, but people nine times out of 10, if you want, if you get a bad review online, people just want to vent. They just want to go somewhere and let the universe know how unhappy they are. Yeah. Right. But if you give them that opportunity to vent directly to you yeah. before they go to Yelp, before they go to Google, before they go to Facebook, before they go to Instagram, whatever. Right. If you give them that outlet yeah. before they leave. For sure. You're giving them the opportunity to vent to the source. The one person in the whole world or one group of people in the whole world that can actually do something about it. For sure. It. But even but this is happening fast enough now that they don't really even want to vent. They want their fries. Yeah. <laughs> so if I forgot your fries, yeah. I want you to have your fries. If you tell me, then you know, we'll get them. In a line from Danny Meyer, you can write the end of the story. Sure. Right. And that in that moment you can make a bad experience an opportunity to go above and beyond to make sure it's the right thing. For sure. Yeah. And and people flip when you know they love it. When we're we're able to to you know to get them, you know, to fix a mistake, that's when you meet your best friends in, in, in this restaurant. And I think there's a, a whole other element. Well, we'll keep on going. I don't wanna Yeah, no, so so there, there there's that and then you know, ovation also um you know, we do uh, it does help us see see guests uh, you know, when and where they order. Um, and we send texts so people can opt into a text uh, scenario, and we and that's powered by Ovation. Yeah. So when they opt in to take the survey, they're they're also simultaneously giving you contact. They're giving you data. They're they're giving you their phone number. Yes. Direct mail. Direct essentially direct mail marketing. Yes. But you're using SMN SMS. Correct. Um, isn't like the open rate in SMS like ninety eight percent? It's definitely higher than email, but uh, yeah, it's, like eight ninety eight percent. That's a ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think email is the next highest thing, and that's like if you're doing amazing, like yeah, out of this world, the, amazing the high teens, right? Oh, thirty percent is like right. outrageously good. If For you're sure. doing in the high teens, you're doing good. Sure, but ninety eight percent, dude. Well, yeah, but but you obviously have to be very respectful of what yeah. of what you're sending to people's phones, and as as text marketing becomes more common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll, you don't want to abuse it. Yeah. And, and other people will abuse it. So are they going to be less, you know, people are going to opt out of everything. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not just, um, getting an opportunity to write the end of the story, the feedback loop, right. And to make things right. But you're also building your lists. Sure. You email too, right? You're building email and phone number lists. Uh, it depends really everything. Most of everything we use ovation for is built around text. Okay. But then at the same time, it's aggregating sentiment. So there's plenty of people who just, who just give you thumbs up or thumbs down about and write about specific items. So we're able to look in the back end and see, you know, hey, how many how many responses were there about this issue? Um, what is, you know, where are the pain points in the service experience? What can we fix? And and to do that kind of at scale. And, and especially now with, with so much, uh, you know, we come from the fine dining world. Most of our operations, our mindset has always been in-house. But a brand like Five Napkin Burger now is thirty or forty percent off premise. Yeah, that's and a good you, point. You have to learn how to do that hospitality and 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 uh, and provide that service outside of your doors. So I want to make sure I fully understand. So um, with the C- the CRM element, which is what you're just speaking to, correct? Yeah, uh, you're you're getting data, you're getting customer feedback. Yes. Um, but are you able to associate that feedback with one person? And keep uh, that like a profile with that person? If they if they follow through all the way th- through the survey, right? Okay. So I, I believe. 
So the, the basic survey is meant to be as easy as possible so that the, the highest number of people will respond. Yeah. Right? We just want thumbs up or thumbs down, 30-second survey, you know, maybe one or two questions. If you take the time to start writing in the paragraph, then you're really taking the time to tell us who you are and, and join the CRM. Got it. Um, I'll be straight up honest. Like I, I love Ovation. Um, it's a company that I'm, I'm trying to get into bed with. Like further, they've been spat, they've been sponsors of the show in the past. Um, they're going to be continuing to sponsor into Q2. Uh, but this is a company that I just believe in, you yeah. know. And I'm really trying to be proactive with sponsors. I'm not trying to be like the the pay to play podcast. Like I want sure. to partner with companies who I know if you if this word gets out, if my listeners start using this tool. It will make a difference sure. in your business. Like I want to make a difference in people's lives, and I think Ovation is one of those tools. That right now, if you start using it, it will have a huge impact. So, what? How has it moved the needle for you? Can you share some numbers? Um, you know, I, I don't have any numbers on the top of my head, but I just, you know, from an ROI perspective, if all the different tools we use, I know Ovation is a hundred is is ROI positive, like yeah. without question. Yeah, we, we solved that one that one guest issue. It paid for, you know, it paid for the month. Like yes. it's, it's, uh, you know, so the, the, the high value of retaining guests is, is worth it a hundred percent. And if you're listening to this and you, and you want to check it out, I'm almost a hundred percent sure it's ovation.com slash unstoppable. If you want to go check that out and if you use that link, maybe it's not that way because I just tested and it didn't work, but if <laughs> I typed it wrong, we will absolutely, if you head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is today's show, please go to that show notes page, use our link. You have no idea how much this supports the show and thank you in advance of you too. Any other tools that are in the suite um, of tools from branded hospitality that you're just having huge impacts with? Uh, let's think about the, um, I'm not trying to make this a huge pitch, but I just it's it's great when because I know you're so close to both like you're 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 you work close to these companies. Sure. And I know you're implementing them like as a I don't know like a, a test market. So I think there's a lot of value here for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And and what and and to get you know I am in the unique position now of really getting to meet the founders and meet yeah. the teams and what they're working on. And so I'll go back to Blanket. You okay. know, we, we talked about innovation. We talked about Mies. I mean, I think Blanket really is is pretty transformational also to help us you know, have, have peace of mind that systems are, are being implemented, right? So all of our line checks, um, happen twice a day and are all logged in blanket, you know, health department walkthroughs, that kind of thing. Um, you know, closing procedures, bar closing, it's all, it's all online. It's all, you know, it's all custom. You can, you know, you build the lists yourself. You can make them as short or, or long as you want. What's the support uh, like with that? Do you get a lot of onboarding support associated with that? Uh, yes. I mean, you have, you have your customer service rep. I mean, you know, one of the, with any of these tools, you know, one of the things that happens is you get them set up yeah. and then you, you know, from my seat, I need to make sure that they're actually being used in, in the operations fully mm-hmm. and, and that they're being embraced because any technology doesn't matter if the team's aren't, aren't, aren't embracing it and they don't feel it's, it's helping. So I'll, you know, I'll talk to the managers and be like, you know, they're, you're, you're right now I can see you're completing 85% of the surveys. Like why, why, why is it not a hundred? Yeah. And I could say, well, I said, you know, how long does it take? Well, it takes an hour. You know, it's too long. Let's, you know. Yeah. So you can see if people are actually doing the job, but you can also see if there's a pattern of people not finishing one element of it, which might be your clue as the restaurant tour that we need to make it better, the yeah. process better. And then my question to the management team is, well, if you changed, if you could do anything, if you could change the survey to get a hundred percent and you know, what would you change? Yeah. Um, and you can do that guys. Uh, you know, let's, 
you know, tell me, let's, let's make the change. And what gets measured gets ma- minded or managed. Or something uh, like that. Yes, that? yes, yes, yes. That's a big one. But the cool thing about these technologies is, is it forces you to like to do the things. It's a system, but you're also because it's digital because it's a service as a software, you're getting a tons of, of, of data touch points for sure that give you a whole new perspective on your business way beyond any kind of like paper and pen checklist could ever give you right? for sure and, and especially in a multi-unit context yeah. right so you can look at you get that weekly email and see you know one store has 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 done less less line checks than the other you know something's wrong yeah so looking at the clock here i'm loving today's conversation i'm kind of getting lost in time so um the mission statement is to inspire empower and transform the industry uh definitely inspirational definitely tons of empowerment in today's conversation getting very specific about things we can do to to scale and grow and evolve as humans and restaurateurs uh, but looking into the future this this note of transformation uh, where do you think the industry is headed and i mean do you think we like is it a good place bad place how do you feel about it I don't know how I feel about I don't know. I don't know if I feel good or bad. I mean, I'm just, I, I think one of the constants is, is, is change. I mean, certainly one of the constants is change. That's not, you know, a brilliant revelation. Uh, but, you know, the point is, like, it, it's a wave. We're all riding it, right? We can try to influence it. We can try to, you know, predict the future. But you kind of got to get back to your core principles and and try to live up to them as best you can every day. And that should prepare you for, for anything. Yeah. So where, where, where do you think the industry is heading? If you could make a prediction, if you could, what was, wait, time out. What's your presence? Prescient? Prescient. What's your prescient? prescient. <laughs> what's, what's my prescient uh, analysis of the future? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try to bring it back uh, full circle. I mean, I said what, what I love is, is creating restaurants that are meeting place, meeting places. And we touched upon it before, you know, I see people craving, you know, you know, restaurants that are comfort, that are part of their neighborhood and part of their lives. It's perfect because that's what I love doing. On, on the flip side, I also see people liking restaurants that are experience, that are experiential. Yeah. And so if people are going to dine out less, you know, they're going to go places where they're made to feel comfortable and then they're going to go places that blow them away. I agree. I mean, I would say I, I believe the industry um, is just going to fragment you're going to see a lot more convenience based things. You're going to be, see a lot more hand, like uh, heavy experience based things mm-hmm. um, with, with the increase of convenience and technology. Like obviously things are going to become that, like that world is going to evolve, right? Where you can literally think about something and it's going to show up 30 seconds later as like, you know, they, they figure out that neural link, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. like we're heading there, but at the same time, because we're less dependent on each other than ever before, we're still not, changing from being human beings and i think we forget like humans we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to become what we are today and that you don't lose what we you know you don't lose that overnight because technology is there we still literally need each other to be happy do you want to continue my train of thought like what's going through your mind i don't want to speak for it do you agree or disagree yeah 100 percent. i mean people need need places you know they need there's a, a famous book out uh, in the past called the third place yes right? so you've uh, read that starbucks yeah so it's like you need uh you need, everybody needs that you what is the third it. place so somewhere other than your house or work like somewhere you go who you can be yourself and you're comfortable for some people that's church or you know a temple or yeah. whatever but for others it's you know they don't have that, and yeah, and, and it could be a fourth place also. And, and one, if if we did have a third place, you know, we're I think one of those places is slowly starting to disappear right now, and that's work. Sure, more and more people aren't going to work where they're going to be with people, sure, shoulder to shoulder. We need that, right? Um, and I think there's a void in a lot of people's lives. There's more like depressions higher than ever, suicide rates are higher than ever. Sure, we're 
we in a world that we're more connected literally where because of that like we we forget that there's a part of us that was there all along that human connection of being next to each other with each other giving somebody a hug like shoulder to shoulder having a conversation having your regular people your tribe yep there needs to be a meeting place for that and i think it needs to happen in person there's certain things that we're just not getting digitally that don't sure. do the job and i think the restaurants are set up prime to become that place sure. to, to kind of go back to where we were in the 17th and in 16th century when we were establishing like we need that place where we can go be with people because not even i mean work works going away like religion's also not what it used to be sure fewer and fewer people are religious going to church you know like we like what's happening like where are we going to go to get that good good yep. you know restaurants what's yep. going through your mind that's the story i mean yeah. I, I think that's it's exciting i mean people like you know the the work from home thing is real and it's a big deal but yeah. it's nice to have a conversation in person where you don't have to worry about everybody being logged in and you know, and off of mute and like, yeah, you know, you know, zooms are great, but they're, it's not the same as four people sitting at a restaurant mm-hmm. table, you know, yeah. getting, getting to know each other. It, it is part of the future. So how are your restaurants going to transform going to the future to kind of get ahead of this trend of people being starved from human connectivity? Well, I think the good point is that we've always kind of been there, you know, yeah. with, with that meeting place mentality, like yeah. we, we want your experience, you know, we're building restaurants now that are more experiential to, to lean into that. But, you know, it's what we do. It's it's perfect for what we do. So if you leave, you know, if you've been in your apartment all day, you know, in Hell's Kitchen and you want to come out at five o'clock when you're done with your Zooms, we want to be a place that you can come. And I love it. In each of our neighborhoods, you know. Yes. I've loved today's conversation, my man. Well, uh, it's been you. a lot of fun. Uh, we got to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to bust out a speed round. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I think I'm, um, I, have a, I have a 
natural empathy. Mm. Like I really try to see behind, you know, what's going on with people I'm, I'm, I'm work with and around and, I think I can really understand what's going on, you know, behind the scenes. I have a working theme that people who are emotionally intelligent and socially intelligent tend to not be as analytical. Is that the case with you? Um, I guess you could say that. <laughs> I mean, I dabble in the analytics, but I think I'm, but you know, what I'm trying to do at this point in my career is, is do less of that Yeah. because I think where I, where I add more value is the emotional intelligence side. Yeah, I can, I, I feel that. What is your biggest weakness? Um, you know, we, t- it sounds stupid, but I'm you know, kind of wanting to do everything. Like I do like to be, to do everything, you know, to be good at, yeah. at, at analysis. Right. Yeah. But there are people who are better than analysis than me or yeah. finance or, you know, whatever. I can't be an expert at everything. I want to, you know, do what I do. I think ego get, gets in the way for a lot of people. They think they have to be good at everything, at everything. And the truth is, is the people who are willing to admit that they're not good at stuff and find other people as fast as possible to, to do that. Cause you are just going to get in the way. You're going to slow it down if you yeah. try to have your hand in everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what is one thing you do when you're looking to grow your team as far as interviewing? What are you looking for? Questions you're asking, things you're looking for? Well, I, I definitely want, um, you know, my interview style, I do like much like yours today. I do like people to be comfortable. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, listen, it's, so I'll spend a lot of time talking, right. And yeah. about, you know, what, you know, what we're about and what, you know, who we are and, and how we operate. And, and before I really find out about the candidate, I want them to, to be excited about the opportunity to work with us. Mm-hmm. That's good. If they're not excited, then yeah. are they going to get excited? Right. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Biggest challenge today. Um, it's it's harder than it's ever been to to find great people. I mean, mm. the, this job market is still is still very different. Um, yeah, how are you overcoming it? Um, it's really uh, still the same. I think it's the same as it's ever been, but it's it's still just hard work and meeting enough people, right? So you need to source enough. You need to work hard enough to interview enough people that you're going to find people you connect with. And now you run an ad and you only get ten responses. You may need to meet a hundred people, so you may need to run ten ads. Yeah, yeah. Like it's 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 just old fashioned, you know, you know, hard work. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team—a core value, a way to be. Um, uh, you know, I guess I, the first thing that comes to mind is no assholes, mm-hmm. right? So we we work, you know, really hard to to not have anybody in management team who's 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 treating people on the line, you know, like shit. Yeah, it's just nobody, no manager is talented enough to get away with that. Yeah. A- anymore not not that they ever were but it was certainly more common in the past than it, yeah. than it was now we, we culture is definitely changing yeah you, you see it happening for our eyes our eyes uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants but not common throughout the industry um well i don't want to say it's not common because i think good good people do it but like the you know we work really hard at at, at love to say yes right special you know i will you know we'll We'll serve you ketchup, right? There's restaurants out there that don't have ketchup in yeah. a French restaurant. Like we, we, we work hard at that, but we're certainly by no means the only person yeah. who does. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Um, you know, I was thinking about Tom Peters today beforehand, who's in, in search of excellence, wow. but he wrote his, he wrote his updated version like two or three years ago. And, uh, and it was super impactful. I don't think that's been mentioned on the show yet. I'm oh, no? excited to check that out. Yeah. We'll He's still active on Twitter, by the way. That was one of my like really? man- management student geek outs. He like, re- he like responded to one of my, I, I oh, tweeted at him and he like liked it and responded. I was like, nice. He, he's the a power of being seen and recognized, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Uh, say thank you. Mm. Right? We so who a, specifically? Everybody and anybody. Yeah. We have a lot of people, and I don't do it. You know, I'm I'm guilty of it as well. But we have so many people who care so much and work so hard, and it's so easy to find people. You know, to you know. We need to shift the mindset so that you're catching people doing things right. Yes, uh, and, manager. Right? Yeah, and then saying thankful. I mean, it's it, saying thank you because it's it's really so necessary. Beautiful. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, operations, marketing, efficiency, profitability, anything along these lines? I mean, feel free to echo what we've already mentioned today or add a new one. Um, yeah, the other one I really like is Bicky. You know, uh-huh. is Bicky as a as is really the main CRM, so we can look at you know guests no matter how they transact whether it's online with third party with first party with in-house kind of gives me the fullest richest picture of the guest yes yeah, i've heard good things about bicky um yeah bicky's great um, i want to dive deeper into that um one specific element of bicky that you like the most um the ability to build custom segments right so i can i can type into it you know show me a list of everybody everybody we know about but everybody who's ordered five times from delivery and twice from pickup so is bicky really at the end of the day just email marketing platform is this where you send your email out your emails out no no not at all it's really it it's really where i get the the most the biggest 360 degree view of the guest right so from from all channels there's information you have in your pos there's information you have in grubhub there's information you have in in your own ordering there's information you have in loyalty resi open table does it connect to those things too uh, to an extent i mean it's 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 heading in that direction but the idea being you know open tables great shows you your guests if they make a reservation Mm-hmm. Right, and you know who they are, but Bicky can see more pieces of our guest journey. Um, not you know, and again, I've 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 spent a lot of time as in building the tech stack. Like I want to see all all the transactions. So it's like know, like sorry, go ahead, I cut you short. I mean, you'll never get there, but if you but the the higher percentage of your guest transactions, you can know something you, you can learn something from those transactions so is it more about it. the behavior of the guests like how they interact with technology the, the the consumer behavior with the patterns that they show online making ordering stuff like that uh, no for me it's if you only order delivery from five napkin burger you know a should i try to get you to dine in the restaurant or yeah. B, should I just send you offers that that are relevant to you and not talk about dining? Got it. So right? I, I don't want to waste your time. If you if you if you consider us one, you know, we're on your delivery go to, and you're never coming in, then we should talk to you as as you know, you're a great delivery customer, and we're gonna you know give you a phenomenal experience there. If you're a dine in customer and you don't want to hear about delivery, maybe it's different. So once you get this this list, this segment of a, the type of individual, yep, does that sync up with your email marketing? Uh, yes, but that's where I call Rev and say, Hey, I think this is cool. <laughs> what do we do with this Rev? Cause Got it's, it. you know, we're not to the point where they're, they're giving, they're giving us the strategy, but it, Hey, I think this is a big enough cohort that we should treat, we should do something with. Got it. Uh, and this is the last question. Yes. So listen up. It's a doozy. Uh-oh. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work in your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy what would those three pieces of wisdom be all right three pieces of wisdom be kind to others one have fun doing what you do two and 
find great people to love and, and work with. I love it. This has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much. Um, so I found you, Dave Rev called you out. Um, who do you respect and admire? If you knew there were a guest on the show tomorrow, you'd be like, I got to tune into that. I want to hear what this person has to say. Uh, yeah, that's great. And thank you, Rev, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, you know, we, we mentioned briefly Brandon Strategic. I would say Jimmy Freshling is is super interesting guy and what he's creating something really special and can uh, explain it much more eloquently than I did. So uh, yeah. I think it'd be valuable for you to uh, They're based in New York, to meet right? Him. Yeah. I'm only a train ride away. And, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm honestly generally like interested in what's going on here. So I'd love to make that happen. And they have another podcast. So we're overdue to, to collaborate and promote each other and help what's going on on both sides. So I'd love to make that happen. Jimmy, if you're listening, open door, my friend. And uh, I think this is where we say if, uh, if you want to leave your contact information for anybody who's listening to this, maybe we're inspired by your story. Maybe we resonate with you and we want to come work with you, be mentored by you, join your team. What's the best way to connect? Um, probably Instagram. My handle is Restaurant Lifer. I'm, I'm checking that a couple times a day. Not, not, not LinkedIn. I don't go there that often, but <laughs> you can message. Awesome. And now uh, we'll have the show notes. We're going to be jockeying around the, the uh, content. Um, so I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be, but just listen to the beginning of the show or just look at your phone and see what episode number is at the beginning and head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever that episode number is. We'll have links to how to connect with, uh, you know, Robert in his, his contact email, all the, the, the websites you have, like how many restaurants we'll have probably those over there as well. And, yeah. 10 restaurants and, or so. Yeah. We'll give you a whole list and all the tools that were mentioned today. We'll try to link to those as well. And, uh, if there is an affiliate link associated with that tool, that link will be in the show notes. So please use our links and that helps in advance. And now is when I say, Robert, thank you so much, my friend, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Robert Guarino, for coming on the show and for getting real, getting vulnerable, talking about some of your failures. And you're not alone, dude. So many restaurant tours out there scale too soon, too fast, and that gets them ahead of their skis. And through these lessons, I mean, we know now that there's other ways to scale with more safe ways Uh proactive ways if you want, I guess. Uh, but this idea of using fractional executives, I want to explore this more. You got to build that house before you move into it. And uh, you, you need sometimes elements, key players to help you get there. Uh, and I think this is a, a great stepping stone in that direction. So I'm going to definitely follow up. If you know of anybody out there, if you're listening to this, somebody who's a specialist in the world of fractional um, executives uh, or somebody who wrote the book or whatever, please put that person on my radar. Uh, this is a subject I want to explore more. Uh, we're going to be headed to Miami next week, the week of March. Or sorry, March, February 20th. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll be in Miami. Uh, if you know somebody out there who's challenging the status quo uh, with their business model or culture or just like you know, super profitable while making sure that their team is being taken care of, uh, different business models, anything like this, please let us know. Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I would love to connect with them and make an example of them out while we're out there. Or if you just want to meet up with us, maybe we can make something happen. Don't be shy. Reach out. 
And uh, I can't say goodbye without letting you know how you can support the show. So please support our sponsors. We really vet our sponsors. Usually they were referred to us by a past guest first, and we built a relationship as an affiliate, and they grow and become sponsors. And on that note, you can support our, our affiliates. Head over to the show notes of this page. Click any links of the tools or services you're interested in. That will get us credit, and that helps. Thank you so much. Share this podcast with everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the industry. Sharing is caring, and come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network where we're connecting our guests and the tools and services they're recommending with you, our listeners, and you get ad-free content over there. There's a lot of cool things happening. And then before we say goodbye, I have to say thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcast for the editing and copyright. And thank you to Sam Hill over at SavAndSam.com for the social media and videography. It takes an army. Mine's growing, and I'm so grateful for it. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.